Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This episode was made possible by our patrons, so thanks to everyone who supports us. If you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash path to glory. If that's not possible, we still appreciate the listens and the ratings. This is your host, Amon Kusro, and as always, I am joined by my I guess starter starting box set co-host <laughs> Jonathan Davis. What's going on, big dog? I'm not gloomy or anything. I'm the start. I'm the starting box. You, we hey, we started together. <laughs> you are the other warband in the core box for Path of Glory. Okay, all right, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm doing doing well. There's a lot of uh, a lot of I'm looking at a lot of cards. Yes, yes, <laughs> a lot of rules. So, Lots of stuff to talk about in today's episode, so we're going to kind of skip some of the pleasantries we usually do in the um, in the effort of time. So uh, just uh, bear that with us. We're going to be going over the entire Harrow Deep box set today in this episode. Um, we're going to go over the new rules changes for Harrow Deep, and we're going to go over the eighty-four universal cards in the set. That includes thirty-six Grand Alliance cards, including gambits and objectives, as well as forty-eight other regular universal cards, including objectives and gambit. So a lot of stuff to go over today. Um, just very briefly running over the news. There was an article that dropped earlier called Harrow Deep Might Be Dark with the Warhammer Underworlds Roadmap Reveals a Bright Future. I highly recommend you take a look at it. It essentially gives us a timeline for what this season and supposedly next season is going to look like as well. So uh, very quickly, in Q1 of 2022, we're going to get our first warband for season five which is harrow deep um looks like there's a pirate vibe going on and earlier today they showed a parrot miniature which is really cool alongside that there's going to be a rivals deck which is pretty exciting so so in theory it should be a standalone universal deck that is eligible with any warband in q2 of 2022 we're going to get a brand new warband um there's some lightning in the background no i don't mm-hmm. think it's stormcast uh but everyone else does but hey it is what it is and then apparently a new core set with two new warbands. And if you read through the article, it states that each season will consist of a box plus two warbands. So it looks like shortly after the release of the fourth warband or the second expansion of this season outside of the core box, we're going to get a new season, which is pretty exciting. Um, lots of big yeah. things coming in for Underworlds. Any thoughts on that before we jump into the main stuff here today, Jonathan? Um, I guess we'll have to see how it ends up um this is i guess the be and there's some things that i like about it um especially i think the second half of most seasons tends to be a little strange like the i would say the last third of a season there's like basically no releases Mm -hmm. um, which is a little weird um i'm interested to know how this is going to affect rotation if there are like half seasons Mm -hmm, if they're cycling mm -hmm. out like one half season at a time or something I think I might like that. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to know what the details are. Um, so, so yeah, I think in general, I'm positive for it. Um, but at the same time, it's going to depend on what else they come out with. Is there going to be another arena mortis with like more, more boards and not starter sets with more boards? And is it just going to be a board fest? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah. Good points all around. Um, Interesting about the rotation. We'll see how that happens. I wouldn't be surprised if they did half seasons or do years, kind of like Hearthstone and Magic do. 
Um, yeah. And then in regards to, um, what did you mention, boards? Yeah, I hope they really limit boards because, I mean, the boards <laughs> are gorgeous in this new um, season. The, the, bu- the blue is amazing. And so we'll yeah. talk more about that. But we're going to start things off today just going through the rule book. We're going to go through the core rules changes for Warhammer Underworld's Harrow Deep, which is the season five of Warhammer Underworld. It's pretty exciting. We've been here five years now. So um, I guess, Jonathan, you're the rules guy. And we both have the rule book in <laughs> front of us. Um, and we're both yeah. just as a preface due to, you know, changing laws around the world. Um, we're just going to state that Games Workshop did give us this product for free uh, to both of us so that we can review it um, through the many different types of media that we do, whether that's through a podcast, written content via our blog, or on our YouTube channel through video as well. So keep that in mind. Again, Games Workshop gave this product to us both for free. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess we'll get started. Yeah, thanks, Games Workshop. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So So, um, basically, I just took a bunch of notes going through the rule book. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is sort of chronological order. Um, The first big thing that uh, they've added is the Grand Alliance symbols are now on the fighter cards. Mm-hmm. And basically what this means is there's a new set of cards that are for Grand Alliance. And when you're building a deck, it's kind of like faction cards in that you can only take the Grand Alliance cards that are in that match the warband that you're playing's Grand Alliance. Um, so yeah, what do you think about that? I think it's really cool. Um, it's a really good, good way to get the older warbands some new tools. Um, I think one of the biggest gripes and criticisms of older warbands is, oh, you can only do so much with their faction deck. And, you know, not all of them has aged as gracefully as Thorns of the Briar Queen, for example, right? So by a, by being able to inject new life into these warbands with these Grand Alliance cards, I think it's really cool. Um, and some of them are really flavorful and thematic. So certain warbands will prefer some over the other. But overall, I think they're really cool. And um, yeah, it just gives us another layer of deck building. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, It is interesting. In a way, though, it's also like a portion of these cards. You know, there's how many of these cards are there? There's like... uh, There's 36 in this. 36. Yeah, so each warband can only use a quarter of them. So that is kind of interesting. It's it's almost like you get less cards per season because of that. Uh, Because there's, you know, two, three quarters of the set that you're not able to use at a given time, but it does make for more varied deck building. So, yeah. And, and it's kind of like every, you know, for example, chaos, like every chaos warband has their own special thing that they can do now. Right. And, and if you think about it, every old warband gets nine cards that only they can use if they're in that grand Alliance. Right. Um, so I think that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, I like the flavor of it. I'm a little concerned about what it means for like the amount of cards that are available. Um, but that's it. Yeah. Well, another cool thing that I want to point out is if you don't know what faction or what Grand Alliance your faction kind of uh, fits in, or if you're not really familiar yeah. with the lore, um, you can definitely ask your peers. Um, you can definitely ask us. We're more than happy to kind of address that. I'm not sure if it's in the rule book yet. I didn't see it um, when I was flipping through it. But to be fair, I'm sure Games Workshop will put out some sort of documentation stating what Warband is in what Grand Alliance to make it easy. Yeah, it does say um, that you can check out on, on uh, warhammerunderworlds.com, I think. Well, there we go. 
So they yep. might update it by the time this episode goes live because yeah. we are recording before the uh, pre-order comes up. So yeah. very cool. So that's interesting. I, I think really it'll depend on what the cards look like. Um, it could be cool to give certain warbands uh, access to things and other warbands not, maybe from a balance perspective. So um, go to the next thing. It is traits. They have mm-hmm. basically just formalized some of the things that we've seen before. Um, these are beast flying leader and wizard um in general i would say that not much has changed beasts cannot be given uh attack action upgrades or bound spell upgrades which are something new that we'll go over um and they cannot hold objectives um flying is basically you can move uh, when you're moving you cannot be dealt damage by lethal hexes or and you can move through blocked or occupied hexes you have to end in an empty hex and you're not immune to lethals later. So a lot of the bats and different flying animals have had these kind of rules. Yeah. Um, whereas like the thorns of the Briar queen and the harrows are still just better. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, leader actually doesn't change at all. And wizard actually doesn't change at all. Um, they're just also keywords. So um, it's neat. I really like it. I think it's a really good way of, um, institutionalizing some of these like abilities, um, streamlining it, streamlining it, excuse me. And then also, um, instead of like typing on a card, like for example, doing claw from, um, Mm -hmm. what's the name of the war band, the, uh, Elethane soul raid. Um, instead of say, saying like beast key, like beast special rule and then having whatever he does, you can just put that symbol and then maybe doing claw could have done something else instead. Right. Instead of that text taking up space on this card. So I really like that. Um, I think it's really neat. I think that's one of the things that I've noticed going through this whole um, rule book is that a lot of this stuff is just like standardization and um, simplifying things and standardizing. So it seems like an improvement to me. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll go to the next one. It is deck building. This is something that I definitely didn't expect, but in the rules for putting your deck together, um, your objective deck must include at least 12 objective cards. It can include any number of additional objective cards. It cannot include more than six surge objectives. So if you want yeah. to go over 12, you can, but they have to be end phase cards. So what do you think about that? I think it opens up cards for uh, certain individuals who might have a playstyle that relies on maybe getting a bunch of cheap end phase cards out and they don't really care what order they come out in. Um, or maybe mm. they're doing, they're trying to do a bunch of other stuff. I know there are players out there who play with like 40 gambit decks, like 40 cards <laughs> in their gambit deck. Yeah. Personally, like that's just not the way I like to play this game. Um, I think one of the pitfalls of trying to be really competitive, which this podcast aims to do and, and which we both do is we try to min max a lot. Um, so I think going over 12 may not help you in a competitive setting, but I think from a flavor perspective, if you just want to kind of just say, yeah, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to get, but I'm just you know, I threw a bunch of cards I thought were cool that maybe it's a great way of testing out cards or just having some fun, or maybe you take more objectives than your opponent if they're newer to the game. So you kind of handicap yourself. That could be a way to play too, which I think is pretty interesting. I like that the option is there. I don't know if I'll ever utilize it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that makes sense. Um, I was thinking about this too, and I'm, I think you really just need to stick to 12 and six surges. Um, there might be some edge cases where maybe you want to just pack in a ton of glory. Um, like I'm thinking back to like some of the Nightfall style 
um, Thorns of the Briar Queen lists where they, they like might have like 25 glory and it's mostly end phase, but you know, anything that they could do is going to get them three or four glory. And um, it's kind of a, you know, they, they may have only had three surges. Um, I'm not sure if I see that sort of thing coming back though. Um, all the, and there are some other deck building changes that we'll talk about um, that might help a deck with more of these cards, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see yeah. if uh, people can have success with more than 12. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next thing is cover hexes. Mm-hmm. So this is something I think we will both be sort of excited by is uh, the player placed hex is now no longer a lethal. Um, it is a cover and it's also a gloom, which we'll talk about, but, and uh there's some cover hexes on the board. And what cover does is if you're, if a fighter is in it, then they get defensive double supports as successes, um, which is yeah pretty solid, especially for the dodge fighters. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really cool mechanic just to clarify. Some hexes have a border made of dashes rather than solid yeah. lines. Those are cover hexes. And when a fighter is on a cover hex, rolls of a double support count as successes in their defense role, which is, which is, you know, pretty, pretty exciting. Um, you're right. It definitely benefits dodging fighters more. It gives them, I think, a 50% chance now to survive on one dice. At least a roll of success, right? Um, right. Which is pretty cool. And then if you're a blocking fighter, it definitely tanks you up a little bit more. Um, but I think the dodging fighters will appreciate it. Um, but yes, yeah, super excited. They get a larger percentage increase. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But super excited that there's no more extra lethals on the boards. I was getting really <laughs> tired of that. Um, yep. And I'm very excited to go back to a different way of playing the game, but also it's like similar to an older way that we've played the game as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting putting the hex down defensively rather than offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, although I guess you could do sort of defensive lethals, but you could. Um, I'm, I'm, I do wonder how it'll affect the defensive ability of fighters in the game too, but uh in general, I'm pretty happy about it. Yes. Um, the next set of changes have to do with the board and objective placement. Um, first off, the diagonal board placement rule was solidified in the rule book. Um, so you do have to connect four hexes. We've had that for, I think, a year now. Um, mm-hmm. I think most people uh, were pretty positive to that rules change. And so it looks like it was put into the rule book. Um, which I think just sort of smooths out the impact that winning the board roll off um, can have and that diagonal setup. Mm-hmm. And similar to that, there's a new change to the way that feature tokens are placed. Um, now you're not able to place the last objective token on an edge hex unless you can't place it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in general, this is going to force objectives to be more in the center of the board. Um, I did a few like, tests with where I could put them. And there are situations where you can force one to be on the edge of the board, but it's still, you still sort of end up with one in the middle and then some of them kind of in other place. So uh, to me, the annoying thing, particularly like in the beginning of Beast Grave was you would always have one player that had like two pretty far in the back and then one in the back corner. And then the other person would have to like try to get there and it was pretty hard. So it seems like objective placement is going to be more spread out and more distributed. Yeah, I, I really like that change. Um, I know that it might initially meet with some, um, indi- like, I don't know, maybe some angst because it's a little different. <laughs> but I really think that it's an improvement to the way that objectives are placed because 
Now, you know, Diarchasm and Beastgrave did a great job of making them more important um, in terms of positioning and relevance. And now because we're all used to fighting over these key points on the board, these hexes, um, the fact that they're kind of in the middle, in the meat grinder, it's cool because um, I think, again, I think interactivity in this game is very important. And I think decks that kind of avoid interactivity have led to issues in the game. And so you can see that there's a clear decision from the designers that they want everything to be as interactive as possible, which I think is is, is awesome. It says a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I am a player that like has enjoyed the uh, objective placement mini game, like, cause there are ways to, to put the objectives down that mitigate some of that. Um, and sometimes you can almost like win or lose a game based on the way that the objectives are placed. Um, but I also think that it can be really punishing. And I think that even with this system, there is still going to be like optimal and suboptimal ways to put it down. So um, if anything, I think I'm excited to figure out the new way. Um, and I think in general, it'll be an improvement. I do think that possibly a negative aspect of it, it is that I think you definitely want to win the roll off for boards and you'll probably choose boards almost all the time. Because I think mm-hmm. the advantage of having three objectives is a lot less than it was before. Um, yeah. I mean, but it depends on your play style and your deck, right? But yeah, it's a it good, might, yeah. Good, uh, good call. Um, Did you want to clarify on what gloom hexes are exactly? Yeah, I was going to do that next. Um, the, speaking of the changes to feature tokens, um, now they start objective side down instead of up. And so the mm-hmm. gloom is at the top. And when you place them, you do know which numbers you're putting down for the objectives, but you don't know which ones your opponent uh, is placing where. So that's kind of interesting. And then you'll put two extra gloom afterwards. So the board starts with a bunch of cover hexes. And then in order to turn them into objectives, you do something new in the power step called delve, where instead of playing a power card, a fighter that's holding the objective can flip the token. So it's pretty different to the way that uh, we're used to these working where the flipping is pretty rare and when they do flip, it's a lethal. So, and I assume that there's, and and obviously all the cards that flip objectives still do that. Um, So it's just more flipping, (laughs) which I've not really been a fan of flipping so far, but uh, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. There's going to be a lot of flipping. Um, I do think it's an interesting yeah. mechanic. It makes sense. You know, the setting is very shadowy. It's gloomy. And you kind of have to like delve into an environment or explore it to kind of see what lies behind the shadows, right? It's very thematic. Um, I do think that it's going to slow down the game a lot, as you've mentioned, the delving. Yeah. I also think it's a pretty cheap way to say like my opponent plays a card um, and then I just delve to see what they're going to do next. And then I can react right. better to their power step because, you know, like Jonathan could... I, Jonathan could end his turn, you know, or whatever, or maybe he's going on the power step and he says, Oh, I just delve. And then I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay, well I'll play this card. And then you're like, ha I'm going to do this card instead. Um, so I just see a lot of people delving for no reason just to yeah. try to get an edge on their opponent. If they don't care about gloom, gloom or objective. And even in that case, you know, like if I'm playing the star blood stalkers, like I might just delve in a power step. I mean, there's eight in a turn in a round, right? And then eventually yeah. when I need to score it, I'll just flip it back to the side I want it to. So Yeah, and, and it is true that you can only flip each token once per power step. Yeah. But that's still a lot of flipping because look, basically you're going to want to flip it to Gloom 
before your opponent's turn because you want the cover and then you want to turn it back into an objective before your turn, presumably Mm -hmm. so that you can score a surge or something like that. Uh, Or definitely like you said at the end phase. So uh, it's interesting. It'll be different. I am a little bit concerned about the slowing the game down um, because I think it's something you physically have to lift the model up, flip the thing and put the model back down. And then like it, it is something it's an, it's new and it's going to take more time. So And maybe maybe what it'll end up as is before anyone plays any power cards, you just say, "Hey, are we ready to flip everything?" And then you just do it, and then you play the power cards. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I just imagine it being an extra unnecessary step in some cases, just to yeah. For the sake, I'm just going to delve because I can. So you have to. So then you'll delve back, or you'll play a card. But either way, I think that's the right so, move. Yeah, just delve back. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, the next thing is the changes to the do-over. And I think this is probably one of the biggest changes um, of the season. Now, mm-hmm. and when you get a hand that you don't like, instead of having to discard it and then those cards are just gone, uh, you get to shuffle them back into your deck after you redraw. And that goes for the objectives or the power cards or both. Um, so this is, I think, massive. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, so like, there's a part of me that's kind of like elitist hardcore gamer where it's like oh that's kind of sad because like you should be able to build your deck in a manner in which like you have only good draws or the likelihood of getting a bad draw is really low um but then there's a part of me that's like well you know i can't tell you how many times i've been in a major event where like i just got royally you know destroyed by my hand and then to throw away x amount of glory or these certain cards felt really bad or maybe Mm -hmm. you're playing something like lost pages where like you draw your five lost pages or three of them or two of them in your opening hand, but then the rest of the hand isn't very good. So from like a new player perspective and from a, just a general quality of life perspective, mm-hmm. I like that this change exists. There's a very small part of me that doesn't, but I think majority of me feels like this is a really good change for the game. Um, and the really cool part is, is that there's still a penalty. Like you still have to reveal the cards to your opponent. You mm-hmm. just shuffle them back in. And if you draw them again, oh, well, you know, then it, then that sucks. <laughs> but <laughs> aside from that, yeah. you know, I think it's good. Yeah, because if you are playing something like Lost Pages, then the opponent knows that and they have the ability to respond. Um, the other thing that I, I wrote down a few things, um, I think it's cool that it allows for more daring deck building with objective cards, like third end phase cards or combos like Tomes. Um, because if you do draw them all early or all at once, then you can replace that without losing. Um, secondly, it pretty much makes all power and objective decks a lot smoother because basically if you don't like your first hand, I think the right move is to throw it away. Um, like if you don't have two surges, you probably just throw that hand away. Um, and you're going to have a higher chance to draw more surges because there's more surges in your deck at that point. Um, there would yeah. be you know five surges and only four end phase cards. Um, and then I think maybe this is sort of what you were talking about. It does, I would say, oh, maybe a downside of it is it does sort of reduce the power of some decks that, like, after a do-over would actually like the fact that they threw away some cards. Um, like, if you were playing a Tome deck or a Relic deck and you happened to draw, like, you didn't draw any of those cards, then you actually wanted to throw those away. And then you knew you would get to all your Tomes or all your... Um, things and i've had games where i draw like four upgrades and then i know that the rest of my game my game is going to be like you know 75 percent ploys and that's actually pretty yeah. strong sometimes mm-hmm. um so it's interesting but 
basically what it's doing is it's forcing you to play with all your cards. Um, I guess we haven't really seen the style of deck that like just tries to draw out their whole deck, but that's going to be harder now because you're not going to be able to just throw five away at the beginning. Yeah, as that's well. a good point. So mm-hmm. it also makes the third end phase cards a lot better. And 100%. Might even make it worth taking more objectives like we were talking about earlier. Because if you, let's say you take two extra objectives, which is four extra glory, which is a lot, and then you don't draw into two surges, then I think you just toss them and then you're basically right where you were before that. Yeah. So maybe that maybe because you can do this new do over, maybe it's worth considering taking more objectives. So I'm still not sure, <laughs> but I still think you want a smoother, a smoother deck because the other player will also have a smoother 12 card deck. So. Yeah. I, I think the benefit of this is just mainly you have more card variety now because you can take maybe slower cards or combinations of cards that can give you a bad hand and then you can just chuck it. You know, you do kind of reveal part of your strategy, but for the most part, after a certain while, people kind of know what you're trying to do because there are clear cut strategies that are better than the rest. Um, So I think that works out. Yeah. Yeah. Basically you have to play with your whole deck, whether you like it or not. (laughs) So seems good. Um, Another change that is, Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, one thing I wanted to mention is, is did you, do you have the power step changes in your notes, by the way, or? Yeah. yeah okay, cool. Perfect. You got it. Okay. <laughs> um, the next thing I was going to talk about was the inspire uh, changes. Mm, um, okay. There are now two points in the game called the inspire step. And I think this is a pretty big change to certain warbands. Um, the inspire step is now after an activation. And then there is another one after the power step. And, Basically, the only time that you inspire fighters, it seems like, is during these two steps. Um, so if you meet the condition at any other time, then you're going to have to wait until the next inspire step. And for a lot of warbands, this is like basically the same because they usually inspire during an activation. And sometimes they can inspire during a power step. Yeah. But there's a few, um, particularly like Thorns and Wraith Creepers, that would inspire at the beginning of an activation. And it seems like they don't anymore. Um which is interesting. It's actually a pretty big nerf because they would meet their condition and then they would have to activate and then they would inspire. But but technically you could wait for your opponent's activation to end and then the inspire step, you could do that as well. I think that the, I think thorns have, it has to be their activation. That's when they inspire is their activation. Yeah, I was mainly talking about Wraith Creepers. Wraith Creepers I think could yeah. be either one. But then there's also warbands like, um, you know, Chosen Axes, Wild Hunt, Grimwatch that inspire in the end phase. And because there's not an inspire step in the end phase, it seems like you would inspire after the first activation when there's an inspire yeah. step. So that's mm-hmm. interesting as well. It's a little bit of a nerf to those warbands when they get to go first in a round. Um, and then finally, it seems like Profiteers and Mad Mob probably get to inspire the way they normally do because they don't have an inspire condition per se. They just have a rule that lets them inspire. And so I think the like, but my card says rule that just says card rules override rule book rules yeah. work for that for sure. But I'm not sure if it does for the other ones. So it might need an FAQ, um, but I think, I think I'm right. Uh, rules is I rule. think it makes sense in the way that it's been described for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's another way to read it. It just, it is a big change. So I always wonder like, wow, is that really what they meant? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah. You know, it seems like they're consolidating and cleaning up a lot of things. So maybe it's, uh, you know, these warbands are kind of old except for Wraith Creepers. But 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, did you have anything to add about all that? No, no. I, I think it's I think it's good for the game. I think clear cut steps of a turn. If you look at the back of the rule book, yeah, video, you'll see my screen. It just has mm-hmm. a step by step, which is important. I think it's so so useful. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, go to the next one then. Um, this is just a very small change. You can break upgrades, and basically that's just a name now for when an upgrade is forced to be discarded um, from an equipped fighter or from yeah. being equipped on a fighter. So. Um, we've had stuff like that before, but it seems like now it has a name. So why not? Yeah, just to clarify, it says sometimes the rule will tell you to break an upgrade or say that an upgrade is broken. This yeah. only affects upgrades that have been given to a fighter. So an upgrade in your hand cannot be broken. When an upgrade is is broken, it is placed face up in the power discard pile of the player that owns the card. Exactly. Yep. You got it. I like um, it. The next thing I have here is the reaction steps. Um from my review, it didn't seem like they really changed that much, but they really clarified it, which is really cool. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's really good. Um, I really like it. I could have sworn I read somewhere that stated like only one reaction can be played per time. Um, I think that's still, I think it's still the same as now. Uh, oh, because I maybe maybe I was thinking that it could like, stop the whole my reaction stops your reaction or whatever but um i don't maybe think so but we maybe can, i'm there's a lot of reading things <laughs> yeah you can still react to a reaction and there's one reaction per reaction step i think that means and i just love all the steps they've they've basically broken down every single time in the game that you can uh, make a reaction. There's a little symbol in the rules itself for different things that says, oh, hey, you can do reactions here. Um, and then basically, and then it's also like a map <laughs> of like everything that happens in the game um, on page 40, where it just shows you everything at any time that there can be a reaction. So, yeah, very I mean, cool. I, I really like it. And I think the change to reaction, this might be a good time. I might be jumping the gun here, but I think this is a really good time to mention the changes uh, in the power step. Because I think that's why that reaction change has been made. Um, yeah, go ahead. But to go ahead and just conf- like you know to reveal the power step here, this is a really really big change. So after a player's activation step, it is time for the player's power step. Players alternate playing a card, delving a future token, or saying pass, starting with the player whose turn is next. Mm. If this is the last turn in a round, start with the player whose turn would be next if there was another turn. Any number of power cards can be played in each power step, but once both players pass in succession, the power step ends and the next turn begins. So to clarify mm-hmm. what that means, because that was a lot of word text, was <laughs> if I activate a fighter and I end my activation, Jonathan gets to play a power card before I do. Right. But you which get is to react. Correct. But it's massive. It's a massive no, change. It's a big change. Yeah. The change is the whole way the game is played. <laughs> There's no more, I charge you with my Grimwatch fighter and then I rip your arm off and you know, smack you with it to kill you off. Now it's, yeah. hmm, maybe they might play this card. I can add my wound upgrade first. Yeah, or push out of the way or, yeah, there's a lot of different things. Lots yeah. of, this is really huge. What do you think about <laughs> it? Um, I don't know. I think this is what I'm going to have to see. Um, it is a big change. I don't know if it's a, it's, there's probably, it's probably not positive or negative to me, but it is different. Like it does change the dynamic of the game. Um, it weakens I would say it weakens players' activations 
because they're not going to get wombo comboed, knocked into a lethal, which there's less of now. <laughs> and then, um, you know, then killed by a distraction or something like that. Um, so I'm, it's probably good if you, I don't know. I don't think I disliked that aspect of the game, but uh, it seems like what they're trying to do is smooth out everything. Yeah. Um, and now I the opponent giving- has a chance to do something. Which 100%. I, don't yeah. I just like that there's more agency. Like you can't just do some silly, like if you somehow find a combo that's really powerful, right? Yeah. The likelihood of you being able to pull it off consistently every game is now decreased because of the fact that I have an opportunity to react. So in game one, you might fool me once, but in <laughs> game two, un- you know, unless it's shame on me, you're not because I know now I now know what you're capable of and I can react to the way you've designed and built your deck and your play style. I really like that. Yeah. And the other thing is like, just because you've activated and charged my fighter and pushed me next to a lethal doesn't mean that you actually have the distraction type card. <laughs> so I might, I might spend a push card or a wound upgrade to avoid that. But if you weren't going to do it anyway, then there's actually like some counterplay there. So I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is with the way that reactions work. So now I would activate, then I would react and then you would play a card. Um, it does, in a way, it weakens the defensive reactions like Maddening Cackle or um, something like that. But because if the other player that's activating has a reaction, then you don't get to go. But it also kind of makes them pretty good because the other player goes, they don't have any reactions, then you get to react, and then you get to play a card. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting the way that uh, that defensive like double plays, double card play could could work i also think it's a great way to smooth the game out like as you've mentioned a couple times now like some of those cards are really like maddening cackle is restricted no is it no it's not i don't think it is um but it's a really good card and people you're playing as you really wish it was (laughs) yes there you go so like the fact that like there's such a powerful card that maybe if you're afraid of it you can build a deck that has a lot of offensive reactions so you can avoid situations like that one ripple would miss right so i think it's one of those I think it's. I think with the theme in these changes thus far has been, the other player has a chance to combat some of the. Uh, let's just say craziness that a, a single player can do <laughs> if things line up in the right order. Yeah, and I think that back and forth is already one of the things I really like about this game. With like the mm-hmm. way the power step works, things like that, and this kind of just solidifies that. So yeah, yeah, I think it's generally pretty good. I like it. Um, Anything else we want to say about the reaction steps and power cards? No, no. Let's just jump into keywords if if that's what we got next. Um, Yep. We have vulnerable, um, which is just a fancy name for will die if you get one more wound. (laughs) Yeah. So if a fighter is at one health remaining, you're vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Um, It doesn't do anything on its own, but it's, uh, I guess there's going to be cards that refer to that state. So that's, Kind of cool. Um, the we also have a new keyword that is grievous, and this is basically a keyword that is something that we've seen before on cards like Fueled by Fury. Um, but basically, if you crit, you do an extra damage. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is that it doesn't have any kind of range restriction built in, I guess. Um, but it's basically like another version of Cleaver and Snare, where I guess it'll be on certain cards or fighters and stuff. Um, Roll a grid, the, do more damage. 
Yeah. I think about this as plus one damage like half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you would rather have probably. another damage on the attack, but because half your attacks are going to be crits, then you know it's it's better than not having more damage. I do think it's generally better than cleave and ensnare. So but I'm a cleave hater. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, but I just think like, yeah, you're right. Like a crit is better than cleaver and snare, right? So in theory. Um, but uh, but they also kind of function in the same way if you don't roll crits. So I, I would just loop them all in as like situationally all equal. Yeah, this isn't an accuracy bonus. This is a damage one, which is neat because we haven't really seen anything like that um, mm-hmm. except on the upgrades that do this. And now there's a word for that Fueled by Fury type effect. Um, another thing I wanted to mention before we cover some of the newer keywords that actually do new things is there is a slight change to trapped um the attack basically the attack uh sequence is very very similar to the way it was before but now um trapped is a little bit better because instead of kicking in after you drive something back or when you would drive something back it kicks in when you have the same number of crits and then before you check who has more normal successes you see if they're trapped and when you do that check if they are trapped and you rolled any successes um, then they get they take the damage. And so it actually buffs the trapped situation a little bit. Um, so there's certain combinations of dice that used to would have failed and now they go through a trap, like one crit attack versus one crit and one success. If you're trapped, you still take the damage because you rolled at least one success. So that's kind of interesting. I don't think it's a big deal. I don't feel like trapped happens a ton in my games, but if you can make it happen, like you stand a higher chance of that attack going through. Yeah, really good point. That is that is something cool. Um, so moving on to the stagger ability. This one's my favorite. <laughs> what do you like about it? Tell me. <laughs> uh, well, let's ex- let's explain it first, right? If you haven't read the sure. Warcom article, if an attack action has the stagger keyword after that attack action, if it succeeds, give the target one stagger token. This happens before the reaction step after the attack action. If a card tells you to stagger a fighter, give that fighter one stagger token. When a fighter is given one or more stagger tokens, remove that fighter's guard tokens. Exciting. A fighter with one or more stagger tokens is staggered when that fighter is the target of an attack action. The attacker's player can reroll one attack dice in the attack roll. Love it. Yeah, it's a pretty like it's pretty cool because especially like against big fighters, like a smaller attack might give them this effect. And then the future attacks will help to take them down, which I think is cool. Um, Also the reroll is great. Like why not have a Mm reroll? And if you also are able to take away a guard token, then that's a massive, massive accuracy difference. Um, It is cool that they can get rid of it by going back on guard. I'm not sure how often you would want to do that, but it might be worth it sometimes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it says right underneath it. Um, when a fighter yeah. is given one or more guard tokens, remove that fighter stagger token. So they're all they're both the cool thing is the stagger is on the back of the guard token. So yeah. you know, we mentioned we don't like flipping very much, but the token is really cool to flip because it's really quick. Um <laughs> gives so, you a reason to have more than one guard token with you at a time, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you'll be flipping your guard token on and off, which I really like that. I like how the yeah. two mechanics intricately are linked to one another. Um, you know, one is buffing your defense and one is when you might be at your weakest on the battlefield, which is really, really cool thematic um, and a great use of a the backside of the guard token, really. Yeah. And I guess it is interesting that it doesn't 
it's it doesn't make you not able to be on guard. So I think for fighters like Glissette, she's still good. Um, although you do get the reroll, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's cool. Very good cool. against um, the new that uh, that health upgrade that uh, people have been using scavenged armor. So <clears throat> nice way to get rid of that guard token. That's right. Um, let's see. The next thing we have is the surge step. They have added the timing on when you score surges. The only times you can score surges are after an activation and after a power step. So now when you meet the condition, you immediately show your opponent the card to show that you're going to score it, but you don't get the glory and then discard it and redraw until the power the, that surge step. So I think that's a very clean way to uh, make that work. And I think it's generally an improvement. <laughs> I think so. I guess you still can technically like achieve surges in the end phase, which is a weird thing that like a couple cards are able to do, but now you don't actually cash them in and draw it back until after the first activation. So yeah, um, I think I like that. But I, like I think most of the time you won't notice it unless you were used to scoring a lot of cards in the power step. And now you're able to like sort of score them, but then you have to wait until the whole power step ends and then you, you get the reward. So uh, a little bit of a change there if you're like anti-objective Rothcorn or something. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think the, uh, yeah, the next thing I have is the Brawlers and Assassins. They're not really in the rule book, although they're mentioned a little bit, um, but these are card effects for the season. So I think it makes sense to talk about them here. Um, they don't really do anything on their own, it seems like, but um, cards are going to refer to them. So it seems like this is the Hunter and Quarry of the Harrow Deep season. Um, so I think that's interesting. And thematic, it doesn't seem like they're linked either. It doesn't seem like assassins are good against brawlers or vice versa. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, so exactly. So it just <laughs> looks like there's a lot of keywords being added. Yeah, and then those keywords will enable fighters to do certain things. Um, looking at some of the fighter cards, it looks like some of the fighters have some of these keywords. So um, they might, like yeah. you know, as you mentioned, hunter, quarry, um, skink, um, right. you know, whatever, goblin or whatever, noblar. So they'll just have keywords, which I really like because there'll be like there are cards that we'll go over today that have a certain keyword that says if your fighter is let's just say a skink and mm-hmm. they do X, Y, Z, you can score glory or you, you know, right. this could be limited to just an assassin, this upgrade. So what it does is it's a really good way of balancing what fighters have access to what cards, mm. but then also allowing players to chase those keywords by equipping items that can make them that keyword potentially, and then utilize said strategy or synergy with such, you know, said keyword, which I think is really cool. I'm a really big, if you've heard this podcast, you'll have heard me say this <laughs> so many times. I'm a really big believer in like as adding as many restrictions or different elements as possible because it mm-hmm. forces you to get creative. It forces you to make like better deck building decisions. And it also forces you to um, adapt to your opponent's decisions as well. So I think it's really neat. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to see the different ways that they like show off those mechanics. Um, the, Next thing I have here is illusion upgrades. Um, again, this isn't a, this doesn't, this is basically just a, a type of card that's coming out, 
but they don't cost any glory to equip, but you have to break them uh, at the end of the round or when a fighter is chosen by a gambit or the fighter takes damage. Mm -hmm. So basically they're upgrades that (laughs) aren't upgrades because they don't cost glory Um, and they go away. Almost, it's almost like you have more ploys. <laughs> well, I like it because it, it kind of feeds into the theme of Olgu, which is the realm of shadows where like not everything yeah. is what it may seem. So there mm-hmm. could be like illusionary magic or the areas causing illusions or messing with your mind to where your opponent might have something. And in some cases, if you believe your opponent might have something, it may you know affect you or wound you or mess with your mind. Um, so I think that's really cool. I think it's really good for Godsworn Hunt because they're just going to inspire really quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, because there's no caveat or anything that says the Godsworn Hunt won't inspire. They might errata that later on, depending on how strong <laughs> the Godsworn Hunt get. Because they'll pretty much, as you mentioned, they pretty much have like you could take maybe ten illusions, and then you can have twenty, <laughs> essentially twenty gambits or twenty ploys in your deck. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. And I think whether or not you want to do that will depend on what the cards look like, because uh, these are these are worse upgrades. Um, once you have glory, which usually you do after the first couple activations, um, I think in general, you would prefer to have normal upgrades that are going to, that are going to last, yeah. um, and aren't going to be, you know, removed by a distraction or something. Um, I do think that in general, you'll get some use out of these cards because I don't know if it's usually worth it for your opponent to burn a power card to destroy one of your upgrades, but it might be situationally, which does kind of add like a, a new layer, which is, which I do like, um, but I think we'll see. I mean, I think I would definitely take a few of the best ones, whatever those are, in a Godsworn Hunt deck. <laughs> there are some good ones. So Yeah. Yeah. You only need a couple because then added to the ways to get glory that they need, then you're yeah. good to go. So um interested to see how that pans out. Yeah, I really like it. I think that's it for the season. I think in general, I would say that although the core changes I think are the most that we've ever seen in a season. Um, I think most of these changes seem pretty intuitive to me. So I think the game will just be easier to play in a lot of ways. Um, I think there's a few things that we're going to need to get used to, like who plays the power card first. Um, but I think a lot of these stuff are like quality of life improvements. And the probably the biggest change to the season itself and the way that the game is played, I think is going to be the gloom tokens um, and the, the delving and how, how all that interacts with everything what do you think about that yeah i think delving and gloom hexes are a fundamental change to the game i think it's going to be something that we all have to get used to we're all going to have to adjust to that it might slow the game down i think it's going to add an additional layer of strategy i think in some cases unnecessary uh, amount of strategy but (laughs) overall like i do think it's cool um because it's super thematic and that's what i can appreciate you know, a lot of people who play this game don't care for the lore. I've heard it on other, you know, content creators and stuff like that. But, you know, like for those of us who do, like it makes sense. And at the end of the day, the lore defines the rules and the mechanics and the special abilities that fighters and settings can do and, and can enforce. And so for that reason alone, I do appreciate the change. Whether I ultimately get sick of it or not is a question <laughs> altogether. And it's always going to be better than Lethal Axis, right? <laughs> You know, could be. We might we might miss them. Be careful year. what we wish for, I guess, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, we probably don't want to spend too much time on the meta, but I do think it's interesting um, 
it does seem like objective play has changed. Um, I'm not really sure if it's worse because a lot of the tools like Mischievous Spirits and Restless Prize and Distraction and Nightmare in the Shadows are gone. And there are weaker versions of those cards. But um, I think objective play is going to be more like it was in Nightfall with things like Dominant Position actually being easier to score than it is now. Um, But we have Path to Victory and maybe even Supremacy. Um, So, and then, you know, see what kind of new gloom and new objective cards um, are able to come out. So, uh, but I feel like it might be an aggro fest. <laughs> I mean, a dire chasm fueled primacy aggro fest. <laughs> so I think because primacy is in the game, there's always an incentive to play. Yeah. Um, I think when dire chasm eventually does rotate, I do mm-hmm. believe that you'll appreciate some of the more subtle mechanics in this round. Um, I think it's really hard when you like are transitioning between seasons because you sometimes want to play the new stuff, but if the old stuff is more relevant or more powerful, then we're just going to stuck with it. So in a way primacy will exist. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, it'll be cool if, and when it it goes away. Um, yeah, notably this set does not come with a primacy token, which I think is a pretty clear indicator that this is not a primacy season. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah yeah so i don't know if they've ever said that this that, that was the case but it seems like it um so yeah i think that's all that i have on the core rules and uh mechanics i guess we can jump into the cards unless you have anything else uh you want to say yeah just real quick wanted to get your opinion like oh. you know thumbs up or thumbs down like do you like the changes <laughs> um i like almost all of the little changes like the tweaks to the rules and the ways that things work and the order of play. Um, I'm not sure if I like the, I think the gloom is going to take some getting used to. I think the illusions are going to take some getting used to. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, and then there's just so much, the meta is going to be so different because so many cards are going to leave. We're getting a bunch of cards. There's new war bands, uh, you know, rules have changed. It's inspired conditions are different. So I think it's going to take some getting used to, but I am excited to, take another look, like to look at everything. And now it's, everything's fresh. Things work mm-hmm. differently. It's a yeah. new puzzle to solve. So yeah, I, I am excited about that. Um, I'm not sure how the gloom, I'm not sure about the gloom, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the same one I'm iffy on as well. Um, overall, yeah. I, I love everything else. I love the changes to the power step. I love the clarification on inspiring and reactions. I yeah. love the stagger token. Um, personally, like I've, I've been struggling with, wanting to stay competitive in this game. And I think some of these changes have really excited me in a way in which I haven't felt in a while. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where the game goes. I will, I will like to highlight that a lot of the rules and issues and bloat that people have referred to in the past have been streamlined. Um, yeah. There's going to be, yeah. there's always going to be room for interpretation, you know, rules as written versus rules as interpreted. But I do think that um, there will be less rules questions in terms of how the game functions. Um, I right. think when gambits and upgrades and cards come into play due to the rule that you mentioned earlier where cards trump rules, um, there those might cause confusion, but they'll, they'll always do that, right? And an FAQ, a timely FAQ, speaking of that, we need one, but a timely FAQ or you know some sort of um, breakdown will explain that. So I, I'm a big fan, really. I like, I like what I've seen so far in Harrow Deep. I like the way that it's going to play. I like the emphasis on objectives not being able to be hidden. Like the, it, What it looks like to me is the game is just being opened up 
focus on interactivity, focus on fighting one another. And yeah, sometimes, you know, dice may take the wheel, but that's any game we play that involves dice. Um, speaking of dice, I really like the new colors for the dice. Mm, um, yeah. You know, like the yeah. magic dice are red. The block dice are like a deep shade of blue and the uh, attack dice are like a very light gray, like almost like a space wolf gray blue color, which is super neat. Um, they finally ran out of night vault dice, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> right. But I really like a lot of these cosmetic changes are amazing. Like even the back of these power cards, like I know it's been pretty divisive online, but like yeah. I've, I've scrolled through all of these, the tone, the dis- there's no discoloration. There's no change in color. Like everything looks the same. And, you know, a lot of people are upset about that. But, like, if you were to play with some of the card backs from the first seasons, like, I'm ho- I'm, I have the Arena Mortis cards. I never sleeve them from Arena Mortis 2. Um, I'm just looking through these right now. Like, there is discoloration issues between the cards just in the same package. Yeah. So, like, if you were playing with clear sleeves in the past, I'm not saying that you may maliciously have done this or not, but you could technically know which cards are what based on the fact that, like, how faded or how rich of a color or saturated a color was. Because there was issues amongst the whole season. This has been known since Shadespire. But just looking through this stuff and looking through the camera and seeing your stuff, it looks the exact same. So while you might have to buy opaque sleeves now, if you want to go back to your clear sleeves, you'll never have an issue ever again. Because look how clear this looks. <laughs> if you're on if you're looking on YouTube, you can see like how yeah. beautiful and standardized and like almost like a premier feel to the look which I think is cool. Yeah, I think I prefer them in general. I can definitely understand um, people not liking that they changed. And I think I've, I think I sort of feel that too. Um, but going forward, I think that it's a major improvement on the way that it looks. And if there are people that are starting the game with this set and maybe they don't want to play the older seasons and they just want to do yeah. like Vanguard or Rivals or whatever, then like I'm sure that they'll enjoy it. Um, <clears throat> and I guess they can do opaque sleeves, but. <laughs> opaque sleeves are the way to go by the way like if you're doing clear stuff that's a little boring to me and in another year unless you're playing an older faction then everything should have this uh this back mm-hmm. so yeah should be fine love it okay well i think we're both high on harrow deep i think um overall the rules changes are pretty solid gloom and you know cover hexes are a little bit of a concern specifically the delve mechanic i think is the biggest concern um but aside from that really cool changes um yeah. So what we're going to do now, and I will say that I've, I have mentioned before that I don't like flipping objectives before, mm-hmm. but the main reason for that is that there's almost no way to flip them back and that is solved. And maybe I'm not sure I'm crazy about how much work it takes, but I do like that. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Worst case scenario, dude, you just pick it up, flip <clears> it, <throat> put it back down. Takes I thought you were going to say, you just flip the table over. (laughs) Well, you can do that also. Just don't do it when my miniatures are on the table. Oh, okay. Um, Speaking of the miniatures, they look great. Um, I'm sure we'll be building those later. But um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the Grand Alliance cards. Uh, There's 36 of these in the set. If you Mm -hmm. divide that out between the four Grand Alliances, there's nine each. So um, we're going to start with the objectives. And then we're going to run through the gambits. Uh, interesting thing to note, there are 308 total cards in the Harrow Deep season, which leads further credence to the fact that each season will be four warbands plus universals, um, which is part of the roadmap they shared earlier. So seeing some confusion about that online, but the disproof keeps pointing in that direction. So what we're going to do is I'm going to start with these objectives. I'm going to read them 
I'm going to marvel at this beautiful cover of these art, this full bleed art. And uh, we're going to just go through every single card in the way that we always do. Brace yourself. We've got 84 <laughs> to go through and we're already an hour in. So I this hope, is going to be a long one. Long drives right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's crazy. Like the four and a half hour episode that we did is like one of our most successful. Yes. Yeah. You know, so people love the long stuff. That's true. Um, okay, so let's start with Elimination Order. This is for Grand Alliance Order. This says Surge Hybrid. Score this immediately after a friendly assassin's attack action that takes the target out of action. Or a friendly fighter's attack action that takes an enemy leader out of action if no other enemy fighters are out of action for one glory. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. That's the card. Um, so I think if you have assassins, this is pretty good. Yeah. Like, like it seems fine. It's just kill something. Um, otherwise, I don't think I'm a big fan of it. Killing the leader first is just kind of hard to do. Yeah, I mean, there are games where it happens, but I, I think it's very hard to plan for it. I think yeah. doubly so when your opponent knows you have this card in your deck. So <laughs> I think this yeah. is a great... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say it's it's just also dead, like after the first fighter dies. So, yeah. Yeah. That's true. So, if you don't have an assassin, don't take this card. <laughs> I Otherwise, think I would want a good. lot of assassins. <laughs> I think I think or if like at least one, like like a strong one, yeah. Yeah, like if I don't know, if my leader is an assassin, I might take it just cuz my leader right. has to kill something, right? Cool. Next card is Path of Order. Should have been Path to Order. Um but uh, two glory duel score this in the end phase. If your warband holds two or more objectives and two or more enemy fighters are out of action. Yes. Yeah, so kind think? of like path to victory. Um, just a little bit harder. Well, it's sort of harder. It doesn't have to be that round. Yeah. But two have to be dead. Um, Pros and cons. So I would say that I like this one quite a bit. I think we do have to keep in mind that only order gets to use it, mm-hmm. which means probably only the skinks <laughs> skinks skinks would do well with this card um yeah i think purifiers might like it their order i could see that yeah yeah um, hold two objectives for two glory is pretty solid and if you're already fighting other things then it's not bad i'm, I'm trying to think of other order war bands um could be maybe chosen axes could be a reach there but true you know true no um, that's that's a good shout um Blade Coven, are, maybe? Blade Coven are technically order, which is weird, but I don't think you want to play them at all. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just looking at the other order warbands. I'm not really seeing any any juice yeah. there. Well, we don't know what might be coming out. Castigators. Um, yeah, Castigators. I would take this in Castigators. Storm My favorite. Us, baby. The best warband ever. That Jesus. Believes me. <laughs> Let's jump. Oh, on that note, next card. Um, <laughs> So score this in the end phase if your leader has two or more wound counters. This is called True Grit for one glory. So if you've pretty much taken a, a hit from any attack in the game, aside from a ranged attack, you can technically score this card. Yeah, it's also one that I guess you could technically score hiding in the corner if there's a lethal hex on your board. But I think having two is puts you in enough danger that I'm not too afraid of that happening. Um yeah, I think it's solid. For a one glory end phase, I think it's like okay. 
and you if you really need to score it you could make it happen so yeah you could you there's a there's a lot of warbands that can well maybe not from order perspective but i think like thundrick may like <clears> this card because he's got five wounds um yeah you know like any any fighter with four wounds who can jump to five or six pretty quickly might like this card from the order warbands like fuel grimnar he's on the card he might <laughs> he might like it um even morgwaith you know because she's a beater she's like the reason the warband exists kind of um Alothane from the soul raid again like a very leader centric warband so i think this could work um but i do think this will get replaced pretty quickly as well yeah the downsides of it are that it's only one glory and if your leader dies then you're not gonna be able to score it so yeah you know Next. what i'm gonna do is i'm actually Go just gonna do all the order cards together including their gambits just to keep it in theme that way we can kind of just think about the same stuff at the same time so let's jump to the first order gambit yeah um, so this is a gambit spell it's called arcane bulwark um single cast or on a fury single fury or sorry focus if cast place give one guard token to each friendly farther within two hexes of the caster yeah um i think that's pretty good actually um one focus I don't love, but that's 25% chance to not work. Um, so 75% chance to go off. And then that's a lot of guard tokens. So it's, it's not bad. I'd give it like a, maybe like a C or a B, I guess. Like there are some situations where you would want this. I think, I think in the worst case scenario, this is focus, give myself a guard token. Yeah. Um, best case scenario, you're giving like two, three fighters, including yourself, a guard token. Right. Um, the theme with, with these order cards seems to be like you're trying to get out there and, you know, be, you know, conquer the mortal realms, get into enemy territory, you know, put yourself on guard, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, I'm not too high on this, but I can potentially see why this could be useful, um, especially in purifiers because they love those defensive yeah. buffs. I could see it on like eyes of the nine or something, giving them all a guard token is pretty solid. And then if you have cards that are scoring off of spells and things, I think that's okay. Yeah, that's true. Even Skinks trying to hold those cover hexes or objectives. Well, I don't think they're people. wizards. Oh, yeah, he's not a wizard. I always think he's a wizard. Yeah, good call. I think I think Games Workshop thought he was a wizard uh, in one of their articles. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, in the article, they did mention that. That's so funny. <laughs> All right, next card is Cautious Maneuver. Um, it has the maneuver keyword. But, um, reaction, play this after. Oh, a and I said Eyes of the Nine, but this is an order card. I'm going to have to get used to these... Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you say I didn't even hear you say yeah, that? Yeah. Um, cautious maneuver, reaction, play this after a friendly fighter's move action. Choose another friendly fighter that is a hunter or is on guard. That fighter makes a move action. After that move action, the two fighters must be adjacent. Yeah, um, I think this is a pretty good card, especially if you have range. Um, like Profiteers, I think, might want to use this card. Um mm. But you would have to be on guard or a hunter. So hunter, yeah. that makes it hard. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I probably wouldn't take it, but it's neat. I think it's good for any warband that has more than four fighters with multiple hunters. So yeah, you know, wild like hunt, I wouldn't want it on wild hunt because the, you the charge. Move. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say that um, they have to have a move token. So this could be an out of activation move as well. Right. So that's true. You could charge. You can charge with them and then move later. Yeah. To get further into enemy territory or further away, you know. So it's not bad. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 definitely situational. I think it could be good in um, Starblood Stalkers. I think um, maybe Elethane Soul Raid because they can ignore the first move token. That could be cool. That's true. 
So, yeah. yeah. You definitely have to think about these cards. It's not as easy to rate these as usual <laughs> because of the limited pool here. But yeah. um, I, I do think it's neat. Um, the next ploy is called the Drilled Determination. Heal one each fighter that is adjacent to one or more enemy fighters and or has one or more guard tokens. Um, I don't think heal one is really worth it ever. No. But, but even healing multiple people, like if you're able to get two or three people, I still don't still don't love it. I don't think I love it either. I think heal one matters when your fighters are three wounds and they go down to two. Yeah. So in a way, I think, again, Mirai's purifiers come to mind because um, they like being on guard and they do kind of tend to clump up near one another. Um, you know, and Aelin and Bahanar are pretty, you know, usually into the thick of it. So um, it could be, yeah. you know, maybe it's a stretch. Maybe <laughs> it's not. But, uh, you know, our job is to try to figure out where these cards are good. Yeah. So. Um, so those are the three gambits. So each, each you know, Grand Alliance has three objectives, gambits, and employees and upgrades. So the first upgrade for Grand Alliance Order is Castellan. Mm-hmm. Action. There's a theme here. Give one guard token <laughs> to each friendly fighter within two hexes. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is worth an upgrade and an action. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a big fan of it. I think there are no more else needs to be said about that card. <laughs> next. I completely agree with you. Um, next card is Drill Sergeant. If this fighter has no move or charge tokens, friendly fighters that begin a move action adjacent to this fighter have plus one move for the duration of that action. And friendly fighters that begin an activation adjacent to this fighter have plus one dice for the duration of that action. Begin an attack action adjacent. So that's pretty good, but my guess is there's other ways to get accuracy, and I don't think I take it for the move. Um, and it doesn't work on the fighter you put it on. So I think it's neat, but I'm not sure I like it. Yeah, the only warband, again, I can think of would be like a horde warband. Um, or maybe like Steelhearts because they like to gang up and beat up people in combat. But I just I just don't I, see this. I do think it's okay for Profiteers. And they actually have a card, a faction card, kind of like this already, I think. Yeah, they do. But Well, there's no range limitation on it, which I think might be the, the reason yeah. why it's good with Profiteers. Yeah, and they can just maybe sit around the fighter that has it and get a lot of shots off. But yeah, a little niche, a little niche. A little niche. You know, it's funny as Profiteers are on the card art, so... Um, maybe they know. Yeah. This one's a really cool one called Perfect Stance. I will say the art is epic on this card. Severin Steelheart is posing up the a storm. OG. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's OG. He's still around. <laughs> he can't, he cannot be killed. <laughs> nope. Um, Perfect Stance. This fighter cannot be given stagger tokens. Cool. Um, already breaking brand new rules we got. Gosh. When this fighter is the target of a range one or range two attack action, this fighter is considered to have one additional supporting fighter. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Makes his I think it's a good card. Defense better. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's good. a pretty good card. Um, I like how it's order because a lot of the death warbands and destruction warbands can abuse guard, um, but the order ones can't. Um, this might be really good on Thundric, um, but yeah. also Ilthari or Galagan. You know, anyone with Galag- two block, I think, is yeah, kind of like it. The stagger oh. thing is nice. Let's it, it plays into the guard effect that these guys have, but. Yeah, um, that's probably the only one I would consider taking. I wonder if there's probably better defensive upgrades, but 
Um, interesting. Do you want to cover the destruction cards? Or do you want me to keep going? Um, I'll go ahead and do the destruction. It's fine. Okay. So the first one we have is the two glory objective scant rewards. Hybrid. Score this in an end phase if there are no feature tokens in your territory and in no one's territory. Or there are no objective tokens on the battlefield. What do you think? So the first condition... So it's, so this card is pretty much... Um, I think the first condition is pretty difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I think the second condition just means that like the gloom side is up. Right. So if no one flips an objective, this could be a very early two glory score. Um, yeah. Worst case scenario, you can kind of get into enemy territory and the whole concept is like they're, you know, raising things to the ground and being destructive. So, you know, maybe no objectives exist. Um, so you can maybe go into enemy territory, flip it during the power step, and then in the end phase of that round, try to score this card. I think there is play. Um, I think if this card becomes popular, people are just going to delve off the bat. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is something that we should have done with the order. <laughs> Why don't we really quick list the war bands that are in destruction? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I guess we have the, do that. the newest war band. Yeah, so we have the Cunning Crew. But if, if we start in yeah. chronological order, we've got Iron Skull's Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Zarbag's Gits. We've got Molog's Mob. We've got uh, Ripper Snarlfangs. Hrothkorn's Man Trappers. Uh, Morgox crushes, mm-hmm. um, Headcracker's Mad Mob, and then of course the Cutting Crew, which is the brand new warband on the block. Yeah, so I think they have the least number of bands. If I'm doing really? the math, it sounded like correctly. a lot to me. <laughs> uh, I think it's eight. So is it? I thought. Oh, okay. Maybe, I think Chaos has the least. Yeah, maybe. Um, so yeah, that's a an interesting kind of spread there. For the most part, there's smaller warbands, except for Gits. <laughs> so, yeah. and then this one wants you to remove objectives, um, which I would say is the reliable, like you might re- be able to reliably remove the objectives or the feature tokens from your territory if you're playing Hrothcorn or something. But there's not that many ways to remove feature tokens right now. So it's tough. Uh, yeah, I think the concept is more about delving, um, flipping. Maybe, yeah. And I think this could this could work in a Zarbags gets infestation deck. You mm-hmm. know, if they if there's only one objective up or <laughs> if they're removing them or whatever, like along the way of scoring infestation, you could maybe score this card. Yeah. Um, I think we can keep it in mind as uh, something possible as we get more cards. Um, the next one is easy come, easy go. Score this in an end phase if you have no power cards in your hand for one glory. What do you think? So I feel like cards like these are like, oh, cool. You know, I don't have any cards. I guess I score a card. <laughs> but more often than yeah. not, I do feel like they pressure you into playing your cards uh, ahead of schedule or maybe at inopportune moments. And if this was two glory, I maybe consider it. But for one glory, <laughs> I think I would never play a card ahead of schedule unless it was like even upgrades, man. Sometimes I don't want my opponent to know what upgrades I have, you know. So um, I don't know. I'm not too high on this one. Yeah, I think we'll have to see what kind of con- control strategies are around. Um, this is reliable if you want it, if you want to score it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the next one is the more the meaner surge. Score this for one glory immediately after a friendly fighter's attack action. If that fighter had two or more supporting fighters, 
So it doesn't have to succeed. Um, that's a gets card. <laughs> yeah, there's just gets piling on Oberyn in the card. So definitely a gets <laughs> card. Um, maybe, I, I can't try to think, like maybe Noblars and you know Hrothgorn are doing some stuff. He's a bigger yeah. warband technically. Um, Two supports reach, is tough though. For Very tough. This will be good, I think, with um, the Cunning Crew. Yep. Because the Noblars so. count as two supporting fighters. So, mm. yeah. Pretty good card for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's it for the objectives. Uh, the first gambit is Shattering Blow. Reaction play this after a friendly fighter's range one successful attack. Pick one of the target's upgrades. Break that card. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like the Cidic Strike from the previous season. Yeah. Um, this is kind of similar to that. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are ways in which you can actually break upgrades pretty pretty frequently given the card pool. Yeah. The attack does have to go through. And I think yep. there are certain metas where it's just easier to kill people so you don't need this. But in sort of the um, whatever the meta was before when we had... Anti-big boy card. Yeah. All the big... Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> Voltron. That's I mean, what is, I was looking for. Yeah. It's an anti-Voltron <laughs> card. I kind of like it. I, yeah. There is a range limitation, which is neat. Um, yeah. I would have maybe liked the range two as well, but I can see why they avoided that. Uh, mm. But range one is pretty solid. I think a lot of fighters are range one anyways. Yeah. The next one is Stupefy. Pick one. Deal one damage to one enemy fighter with one or more illusion upgrades adjacent to one or more friendly fighters. Or stagger one enemy fighter adjacent to one or more friendly fighters. What do you think? I, I really like this. Um, you yeah. know, it can be a way to get rid of illusion really quickly. Maybe your attack missed. Or there's two fighters with illusions. You're trying to get rid of them. Or you're just staggering a fighter going into your turn. So you can maybe get that reroll, get them off guard. Um, I think there's a lot of options for cards like these. And I think destruction warbands want to fight you more often than not. And so, you know, like this card would be great in Mad Mob, even Iron Skulls Boys. So um, it gets even, you know, Stagger, Fighter, Pylon, Amber Bone Weapon. Well, I guess there's no more Amber Bone Weapons, but, you know, Silent Sword is still great. So, yeah, can work. Yeah, I think the requirement to need a friendly fighter adjacent is a little high, but I think it does enough things that uh, you might be able to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, The next one is Tremendous Roar. Choose one friendly fighter. If the chosen friendly fighter is a wizard, stagger each enemy fighter adjacent to the chosen fighter. Otherwise, roll one magic dice for each enemy fighter adjacent to the chosen fighter. On a roll of channel, stagger all stagger that enemy fighter. Huh, so there's a lot of staggering going on. So essentially, if you're a Zarbag or Headcracker, <laughs> yeah. this is a really interesting card for you. Um, you can just kind of like uh, auto-stagger everyone around you. I, I, most cases, this will just be one fighter. Um, and I think Stupefy is a better version of this card because if your leader is already adjacent to an enemy fighter, then you have yeah. the option of dealing a damage to them or st- staggering them. The only thing, the only way in which I think this might be insane is if, you know, like Hrothgorn was a wizard, but he's not. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think in the Xarbag, no one treats him like a wizard. He's just kind of like a, <laughs> assassin that you try to just dive and kill something with this three fury attack. So I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's that, that interesting. It's okay. I think the, again, the adjacency requirement is, doesn't really appeal to me. Um, yeah. 
The next one is their first upgrade, Spite Maul. It's an attack action upgrade. One range, three smash, one damage. It says, if this fighter is a minion, this upgrade has the following reaction. Reaction after this attack action, if it succeeded, pick one of the target's upgrades, break that card. Um, I guess we didn't cover it in the uh, rules part, but minion is just another keyword that is on certain fighters. Yeah, from the starter set, I think the two Noblars are minions. Yeah. So uh, essentially what it assumes is like diminutive fighters who kind of like are minions. Like you're my little minion, go do what I tell you to do type. So um, I think that's pretty interesting, you know, to give pretty accurate, albeit weak attack to a minion, (laughs) but then in a way that they kind of come in useful because they're breaking upgrades. Yeah, I think it's funny that uh, I think it's Headcracker or... uh... No, that's um, I think that's Thug. Yeah, I think that's Thug. I don't think Thug is a minion. <laughs> no, he can definitely think for himself. Yeah, but it's a cool uh, weapon. The next one is Trogoth's Blood. Give this only to a fighter with a wound characteristic of four or less. This fighter is a hunter. Reaction after this fighter is given an upgrade, heal one this fighter. What do you think? So, I just want to say shout out to Games Workshop for putting a wound <laughs> limitation on this card. <laughs> Because yeah. if this was on Malog or Hothgorn, I'd quit the game. Um, yeah. So love this. Um, I think this is a great way to keep your more powerful fighters um, alive, um, whether it's, you know, Iron Skull or Ripa or Headcracker himself, right? Like you want them to stay alive and do damage. So cool card. Yeah, yeah I actually like this one quite a bit. Um I don't usually think healing is worth it, but if you're able to spend one card to then have other cards do their thing and heal, I think that could be worth it in in those small warband setups. It is kind of, it would be incredibly disgusting on Hrothgorn or Molog or something. So (laughs) well done. Like sticking sticking this on like Tooth Dagger because it's a a fighter you want a Voltron. So it can be pretty nasty with Tooth Dagger. And the other thing is, go ahead. Go ahead. I was was going to say, it just might be the shot in the arm that warband needs. You know, I know Compact's been doing really well online with Headcrackers, but uh, mm. not everyone else is doing the same. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you can put this on someone and then give them wound upgrades. So, mm. that's well, you would you can only give it to a f- yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you can give it to a four wound fighter and then bump them up to five. <laughs> yeah, after the fact because the condition was met at the time of upgrade. Yeah, that's true. All right, the next one we have is I think our first illusion card. Uh, Mm -hmm. visage of destruction it is restricted to leaders it says do not spend any glory points when you play this card at the end of the action phase or when this fighter is chosen by a gambit or is dealt damage break this card this fighter is a hunter minus one dice from adjacent enemy fighters attack actions that target this fighter to a minimum of one what do you think starting off strong here i think this is a really good card um the hunter stuff is irrelevant um I think for a round, you can potentially improve the ability to survive quite dramatically. Um, this is restricted to your leader, but, you know, head crack on two dodge minus dice, pretty solid. We, we've seen how uh, powerful Paul of Fear is with Wraith Creepers. So, yeah. um, you know, this is range ones because it's adjacent, but still, I think it's solid. Solid yeah. card. Yeah. Having this card in your hand lets you be aggressive with your leader, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Even on um, Morgok, pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 
I think it's pretty good. I mean, it can be removed by a gambit or uh, if you get hit, then, you know, but it'll help you not get hit. So, yeah, <clears throat> pretty well, cool. Yeah, I like the destruction cards. Pretty thematic. Some are some are strong. Some are not as strong. But I think overall, I thought they're better than the order cards. I think so. I think there's at least a couple in there I w- I'm, I'm going to be considering. Yeah. Well, now we move on to death and we know that Dave Sanders loves death warbands. Um, <laughs> you know, when I met him in person, I asked him, like, what's your favorite faction? He said destruction. But uh, the proof is in the pudding, Dave. <laughs> um, so first card for death is called Coupe de Grace. Coupe de Gras? Is that how they say it in France? I think so. Yeah. Uh, one glory surge scored this immediately after an attack action that took an enemy fighter out of action. If that fighter had one or more wound counters in the declare action step. And I guess real, real quick, the death war bands are the oh, Seth right. guard thorns of the briar queen, lady harrows, Rimwatch, uh, Canaan's reapers, the crimson court and drippers, wraith creepers. So that's like a, a bunch of OP warbands to me. <laughs> There's actually only seven of those. So, no, oh. and they're all really, really good, <laughs> except for yeah, except, maybe the sub card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about this card? Um, Vela stabbing Olo in the chest. Um, I think it is pretty good. Um, like I would say it's solid. It's scorable. Um, taking an enemy fighter out of action when they already had a wound counter. Like you can do that. So yeah, I think it's uh, decent. I think it's good for warbands who have low damage output or have a lot of fighters with low damage output. I think like this in creepers or even reapers or reavers would be pretty decent. Death's champion is the next card surge score this immediately after your leader's attack action that took the target out of action for one glory. Yeah, (laughs) I would take this in wraith creepers. I would take this in, Reapers. Reaper, could, is it Reaper? It's Kanan's Re- Re- Reapers or Reavers? Reapers. Reapers. Reapers, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe Thorns of the Brian Queen even, you know. This is a good card. It's pretty decent, yeah. Yeah, this is really good for, like, Dare, or Captain Murder ran a, a card where it just revolved around, like, Kanan killing everything. That slots yeah. in there. This would fit perfectly in my Drippers deck. So, yeah, good call. Yeah, it's pretty good. And there's already Next a card? couple other cards like that, so. Oh, we. Next <laughs> card is Lurking Death for two glory. Dual score this in the end phase. If two or more friendly fighters are each in a cover hex and one or more of those fighters are in enemy territory, after you score this card, pick one opponent. That opponent's warband deals one damage to one fighter from your warband that is in a cover hex. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on here. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting. I think it'll depend on the rest of your deck, whether or not you want to play this Two glory is obviously great. Um, I don't love taking damage and I wouldn't want necessarily to be standing in cover hexes unless I had a whole deck that was built around that, but could be good. So yeah, I definitely depend if if your deck is designed around holding cover hexes or objective hexes. First of all, that's the first thing you got to think about. Um, I like how one of the requirements has to be an enemy territory. Yeah. Um, and the damage is interesting, but um, it kind of maybe disincentivizes you from stacking cards like these. Right. It's cool. Um, this next card is insane. 
<laughs> but is that a surprise with the death? No. Um, restricted to a leader. This is the first gambit from the Grand Alliance death. It's called Partial Resurrection. Place one friendly fighter that is out of action on a starting hex in your territory. Give that fighter one race token. Then give that fighter wound counters until that fighter is vulnerable. Yeah. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so you can bring back some vampires. <laughs> you can, Essentially, you can. Yeah. Bring, you can. The funny thing about vampires is they have some pretty good healing cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you you can essentially bring as long as your leader is alive on the board. <laughs> yeah, you can bring back anybody. So if someone kills your drummer, nope, he's back. Yep, you know. So it's it's a really good card. It is, and, and they keep their upgrades. And it's but it is a starting hex in your territory, which is probably the weakest like way that that could be. And the vulnerable thing is. A thing, but really, a lot of the time you're going to just play this and then charge with them. Um, so it's it's incredibly strong. Basically, I think this goes in every. I think you just take this in every single death deck. It's really good for Sepulchral Guard too because it helps inspire the leader faster. Yeah, that's true. Good card, and it inspires another fighter. Like it actually means Sepulchral has like I think maybe three ways to resurrect now or something. You don't Um, have to technically action anymore. You can just. Draw cards. Yeah. Play them. Very Although, good. Very good. Maybe the Arena Mortis card is gone now. So maybe they're back to two. <laughs> no, it's still good. Yeah. Speaking of cards, um, Reborn in Darkness, <laughs> Reaction. Play this after you give a friendly fighter a race token. Place that fighter in a cover hex. So actually, what you can do is you can play Partial Resurrection. Yep. They go they, And then they get the race token. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, hold hold on. It says give that fighter one race token, then give that fighter wound counters. But then you could react giving them a race token, and then you place that fighter in a cover hex. So, yeah, they, they still get the wound token, but yeah, um, yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good for any. I think it's good for any resurrect, especially if you're trying to hold cover. Yeah, and, in enemy territory. Yeah, and Spec- cover can be an objective too when you flip it. So, yeah. Combo, card. wombo combos there. Lots of it. Next card is Swooping Shadow. The first attack action made by Friendly Fighter and the next activation has Ensnare. If that fighter is flying or a hunter, then attack action also has Cleave. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, Thorns of the Briar Queen. Vampires, because of the hunter. Well, mm-hmm. I don't and, think and Thorns can fly. fly. I don't think Thorns have the flying rule. I think you need the flying rule. Um, oh, well, they're probably a rat of that, so they do, because why not? Right. But the bats, I well, guess the bats. <laughs> the bats are monsters now. I can't, they yeah. can't miss. Yeah. It's a good card. Yeah. It's I good. think ensnare, ensnare on Demand is pretty neat if you <laughs> fill out any of the other, you know, I mean, vampires cleave ensnare off the bat. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> Well, good thing I'm getting my vampires perfected. <laughs> right, right. They're about to go ham. Um, okay, last three upgrades here. Fatal Scheme. Action. Spend one glory point. When you do, draw two power cards, then discard two power cards. This fighter can only make this action once per round. Restricted to leaders. What you think? Hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of this one. I don't know if it's worth the action. You're spending a glory point, which probably isn't a big deal. 
um, because you probably just have extra glory at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But having to draw two cards and then also having to discard, it can be good, but it's throwing away a lot. I'm just not sure you're getting a lot unless your goal is to like run out of cards. So I guess if that's a thing, maybe, but I don't know. It just seems, I don't see myself playing it. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see like death having like a discard theme because it's the graveyard or whatever you want to call it. So I'm sure there are ways to like, we might see more in the future guess, of, like, yeah. coming back and forth. Um, next upgrade is Life Seeker. Range one attack action on this fighter's fighter card have cleave. If this fighter is an assassin, range one attack action on this fighter also have ensnare. So well, cleave on yeah. demand. <laughs> but uh, if which you you're not a big fan of, but I think this is pretty solid. Um, if, if you're an assassin, if you have assassins, this is a pretty good card. Yeah, yeah, solid card. <clears throat> range one, but yeah, yeah. Well, last card is called Shade Leech. Uh, reaction after an attack action. If this fighter was the target as and as in a cover hex, heal one this fighter. Huh. Yeah, that's not very good. Nope. Nope. No, it's not. But they've got <laughs> some great cards to offset that. So yeah. they literally threw us a bone. <laughs> I would say they had at least half that I think we'll see a lot of. And then a couple that you could consider. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so well, finally, chaos. finally, we have Chaos. And the Chaos four bands are the Garrick's Reavers, Magor's Fiends, Eyes of the Nine. Spike Claw Swarm, bro. Don't forget. Spike Claw Swarm. God's Horn Hunt. Who else? Worm Spat. Crash Racks Despoilers. Crash Racks Despoilers. Worm Spat. Dread Pageant and Cagra's Ravagers. Cagra's Ravagers. So they have quite a few there at nine. <clears throat> so mostly I would say smaller warbands and aggressive warbands, but Skaven and Despoilers and Eyes are a little bit different. Reavers, too. They got five. That's true. Yeah. Definitely aggressive, though. I mean, we, the first card is uh, Sake being real aggressive. <laughs> That's true. The From first the one art. is all too real. Surge hybrid. Score this immediately after a friendly fighter's upgrade attack action that takes the fighter out of action. Or a friendly fighter's successful illusion attack action. So you have to use a weapon or an illusion weapon. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is good in Skaven. Yeah. If there are good illusion weapons or you're playing Skaven, I think it's solid. Maybe just spoilers too. They, I think they like the spoilers too. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Interesting. I like this. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a niche card, but kind of buffs the warbands that are already kind of good at that stuff. Yeah. The next one is path of chaos. It is a duel for two glory score. This in an end phase. If three or more friendly fighters are in enemy territory, and two or more enemy fighters are out of action. So kind of like Path to Glory, but uh, or Path to Victory, but aggro. Yeah, I mean, this card is interesting. There's a lot of cards that reward you for being in enemy territory. So yeah. if you take some of those that aren't necessarily hunter-restrictive, or if your fighters are hunters in Chaos, then I think it's pretty solid. Like, the spoilers would probably like this card a lot. Um, I think Godsworn Hunt are going to just charge into enemy territory, try to do this stuff too. Yeah. Um, 
I think the three or more friendly fighters enemy territory is pretty standard number. And two or more enemy fighters is pretty standard number as well. So you, this might brick in some games just because dice. But yeah. I think you can somewhat reliably do this, especially with illusion weapons on Godsworn Hunt. It just takes them from zero to 100 real quick. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, the next one is Pawns of the Gods. Duel. Score this in an end phase if one or more fighters in each warband are inspired and one or more fighters in each warband are out of action for one glory. This reminds me a lot of the Reavers card where uh, it begins. <clears throat> yeah. So it's like it begins plus each fighter has at least one fighter from each side has to be inspired. A lot of warbands do do global inspire. So kind of makes sense as to why this exists. Um, I think it's okay. I think it's a card that you'll take early because your warband struggles with objectives. Um, and then eventually you toss it. Like I think Warm Spat might use this because they need the help. Um, but like even, Maybe. you know, so I don't know. Depends. I think you just want to, you want to make sure you have a reliable Inspire, which ironically makes it not great for Reavers, but <laughs> um, I think mm-hmm. it's solid mm-hmm. in general. If you're looking for a one glory, it's just going to compete against all the other one glories. So, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, the first gambit is a spell agonizing bolt goes off on one focus. If cast, choose one enemy fighter within three hexes of the caster or within four hexes of the caster. If the caster is a Zinch fighter, deal one damage to the chosen fighter or two damage if the caster suffered backlash. What do you think? So I love the flavor on this card, right? So if you're chaos, you can do this spell, but -hmm. if you happen to be Zinch, you can cast it further because there's a boon (laughs) to being a magician. Um, So essentially it's like um, hunting bolt, deal one damage pretty much for a focus. Solid card at range four is even better if you're playing with Vortimus. the interesting thing is if you happen to double crit yourself, which sucks in a lot of cases, you opponent actually gets to suffer for that as well. So yeah. your spell will go off, you take a damage, but then they get two. So it's pretty neat. I, I, I kind of, I think it's a good card for Vortimus. I like it. I think that's probably the deck that would take it. Maybe the uh, Worm Spat as well. Um, yeah, I can see the Worm Spat taking it because they loved Hunting Bolt. Yeah, good yeah. point. Maybe Ravagers, but I like it less on them. So. Zarshia, if she was four wounds, yeah. <laughs> if Zarshia was four wounds, then it would be completely different. I'd be playing that warband. <laughs> the next one is Chaotic Paths. Choose one enemy fighter with no move or charge tokens. The chosen fighter's player picks one. Deal one damage to that fighter. Or you scatter three from that fighter's hex and push that fighter along the chain to the end hex. If the chain is interrupted or the fighter would be pushed into a hex that is blocked or occupied, do not push them any further. <laughs> I like this card. It's just toxic gases pretty much. Um, yeah. You know, take a damage or I get to move your fighter. I may not control where your fighter goes, but right. I'm throwing you off a cover hex or an objective or hopefully closer to me, away from me into a lethal. I like this card. It's good. Yeah, it goes good with other ping damage cards. Like I could see um, Dread Pageant taking this because they have their own lethal ward. We have lethal ward. Uh, Wormspat could take this. Um, mm-hmm. Worms just, it's just annoying. Yeah, yeah. I like the I like the ping. It's cool. Agreed. Um, next one is Desperate Bargain Reaction. Play this when a friendly fighter is dealt damage after the out of action check. If that fighter is now vulnerable. Give that fighter one upgrade from your hand or one illusion upgrade from your discard pile. That's interesting. 
That's really good. Like you could essentially have a fighter get taken down too vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and then like maybe, you know, if you had to discard an upgrade or it was broken earlier, you can bring it back and then you can get a wound upgrade, an attack upgrade. Um, I definitely think it depends on this, the, 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 the setting of the board, like the exact conditions, like what's in my discard, yeah. what's in my hand. <clears throat> but the fact that you can just get um, the illusion upgrade from the discard pile is pretty interesting. But getting the fighter one upgrade from your hand without paying the glory tax is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it is. But and I think it's I harder think, to kill fighters now with less lethals on the board. Mm-hmm. So this might happen a little bit. I agree. I do think that like this card, as the game goes on, is less valuable. Yeah. I mean, the weakness is you have to have one health. Other than that, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the next one, the picture on this one is just weird. <laughs> Greshrak looking at an egg. Um, <laughs> devoted to curse. Reaction. This is the first upgrade. It's a reaction upgrade. After this fighter's activation, put one devotion token on a feature token within two hexes of this fighter. While a feature token has one or more devotion tokens on it, hex containing the feature token is a lethal hex in addition to its other types. Remove all devotion tokens from the battlefield at the end of the round. What do you think? So essentially you're making a feature token, which can be a gloom or objective hex into a lethal. I don't, I don't know if it's worth it being an upgrade, but if you're trying to play, maybe, maybe, maybe if you're playing like an aggressive (laughs) warband and you're trying to like discourage the enemy from trying to jump on these things or, you know, you've got them vulnerable and then you react so they can't run away. I don't know. I mean, it, it could be interesting. Yeah. Some nice situations, but it doesn't scream, put me in my near deck immediately. Yeah. Like I think if you have a lot of pushes, then having the ability to generate a lethal is pretty good. Like enemy pushes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so it's, it's interesting, but it's very tech, very specific uh, card. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is gifted bulk. It is a mutation keyword. Plus one wound, reaction after a friendly fighter's act, attack action that takes an enemy fighter out of action. If this card is in your hand, give this upgrade to that fighter. It does not cost any glory points. Uh, so that's pretty good. <clears throat> very good card. Very very good card for any warband trying to be aggressive. This is excellent in Magor's Fiends, even Ravagers. Um, yeah. Hell, honestly, any Chaos deck. It's good. I mean, it's better than Great Fortitude, basically, because you can still use it normally. So. And it's free. Yeah. If you kill something. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Um, next one is another illusion. Phantom pain. Uh, this is all the normal illusion stuff. And then it's minus one defense to a minimum of one. And this fighter's range, three attack actions have plus one range. <laughs> mm. No thanks. Yeah. Nope. Not worth it. Unfortunately. <laughs> Hadzu is like rocking out on this side. He's just happy he got like a blingy bow. (laughs) Um, Overall, I really like the Grand Alliance cards. You can see some themes in these decks. Um, The fact that we have, you know, this whole objective order or this order theme with guard, um, you know, this destroying tokens and killing stuff with destruction and staggering people. Um, We've got resurrections and raise tokens and focuses on leader with the death w- w- cards. Winning, winning games with death. 
pretty much. <laughs> that's their, and then that's with, their thing. <laughs> with the chaos stuff, it's all about like getting gifts and maybe, you know, getting stuff for free, cheating some stuff out. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And then there was a little Zinch flavor in there, which leads me to believe that they'll do like Corn Nurgle and uh, Slanesh cards as well, like or like extra benefits. So like, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I, I do think death out of this was the strongest. Absolutely. Then I think it's a tie between destruction and chaos, which I think I would edge give chaos the edge. I think I liked more cards. I think I would go death, chaos, destruction, order, um, which is interesting because order has the most war bands. So maybe they're the hardest to balance, yeah. right? Yeah, maybe. I just think the cards are kind of the weakest. But Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the theme that they elected to use, which yeah, guard. fortunately or unfortunately is just the way things go. Okay, well, any other thoughts on uh, Grand Alliance stuff before we dive into 48 Universals? <laughs> um, no, I hope that more come out, and I hope that the power is more evenly distributed. Um, but uh, I feel like, unfortunately, at this point, at this moment, death doesn't really need any help. I think those are some of the best four bands in the game already. Yeah. Um, and being able to resurrect vampires and lady arrows and things like that is a little silly, but um, <clears throat> we'll see. Yeah. I think the interesting thing with death is it's like so easy to be strong because they have very like easy tropes to fall into bring fighters back, yeah. you know, scare people mess with leadership air quotes, you know, discard graveyard. Like It's just too easy to like kind of design mm-hmm. cards for it. And in some cases it can kind of overlap and cause issues. So, um, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, let's jump to these objective cards. So I'll start, um, with these, there's 16 of each. So I'll do objectives. Jonathan can do the game butts and I'll do the upgrades and we'll figure it out. Let's do it. Okay. First card, competent conjurer score this in the end phase. If in the previous phase, your warband casts a number of spells greater than the number of wizards in your warband, including out of action fighters for one glory. Yeah, so for most warbands, you have to cast two spells for one glory. I don't think that's terrible. I just think it's going to compete with all the other one glory cards. Um, so I think if you need a one glory card and you're playing spells, sure, why not? I kind of like this for Vortimus because he has a card that kind of does this already. <clears throat> yep. So if you're going to take a lot of magic cards with him, it works out. It's actually, ironically, it's not a good card for curse breakers. <laughs> exactly. Which is funny. Um, next card, Contest of Equals, Surge. Score this immediately after a failed attack action. If the attack roll and the defense roll contained the same number of successes, including critical successes. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, especially because zero successes is a number of successes, I think. Um, so I would say this is pretty good. Yeah, you're going to have to force your opponent to roll defense dice when you miss, though. But um, yeah, that's true. It'll be interesting. They're supposed to do that though. So yeah, I'd have to do the math on it. And I guess it depends on the number of dice. I'm not really sure what the chance of you both rolling the same number is. Um, Most attacks have a, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just wondering what the math is. I don't think it's like that likely to happen. You know, it's funny. This might be good with Miari. Yeah, because of the rerolls. You got a one smash attack. You either inspire or you get a glory. You know, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It just relies on the other dice as well. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know what is going on outside my apartment, but I'm hearing sirens for days. Um, <laughs> Fallen Titan is the next card for one glory. Score this in the end phase. If one or more enemy fighters with a wounds characteristic higher than each surviving friendly fighter's wounds characteristic is out of action. Yeah, I mean, for one glory, I don't give it a ton of thought, but uh, if you're playing a low wound warband like uh, Gitz or Godsworn Hunt, it might be worth giving a go. Yeah. Elf warbands like this too, in a way. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we have a, we do have a new member of the Three Health Club with uh, Purifiers. Yeah, I, I kind of like this. Um, Fearless Seekers is the next card for two glory. Score this in the end phase if two or more friendly fighters are on feature tokens in enemy territory. Yeah, um, I think we have this card already. I forget what it's called. Um, <laughs> I haven't used it before. Um, treasure Seekers? Treasure Hunters? There is that one, and that one's three. So I think hmm. I could see you thinking about that one. But there's a few versions of where it's two, and I don't know. It's, it's hard. I don't, know if you've, I don't know how often you've tried to hold two objectives in enemy territory, but it's kind of tough. It is, but in this case, you can do gloom and objectives. That's true. It is feature tokens, so that is flexible. That is more flexible. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I need to get. I need to think about gloom. I'm not used to it. You do. Um, In cold blood is the next card. Surge duel for one glory. Score this immediately if a friendly fighter's attack action takes the target out of action, and that friendly fighter has no wound counters, or that friendly fighter is an assassin. Um, yeah, so basically you have to one-shot the enemy fighter. I think that's solid. And then obviously it's better for assassins, so... It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. One-shotting a fighter is pretty pretty doable. Happens yeah. a lot. And then just so. killing someone because you're an assassin is pretty cool. <clears throat> yep. Lots of good assassin cards. You just got to kill stuff, but... If you had a warband full of assassins, who knows? Yep. Um, inseparable, one glory, duel. Score this in the end phase. If two or more friendly fighters each have one or more charge tokens and those fighters are adjacent. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to do that. Um, just one glory. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's interesting. I think horde warbands, like I think, uh, Kanan's really like this. Maybe gets probably yeah. too. thorns. Even who knows? Um, Next card, lead from the front, one glory. Score this in the end phase if your leader is only friendly fighter in enemy territory. Yeah, that's interesting. Again, Malon, one Rathorn. glory. Yeah. Kanan. Kanan. Yeah. Briar Queen. There's a lot of, like all of these cards, or most of these cards so far have been you absolutely playable. They're just one glory. <laughs> so Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. This yeah. is a really good thing. Most of these cards are not bad. They just require some thought and it's not predictable, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. But this can be scored pretty easily. Even, um, you know, rip a spite claw, even if you want to get wild. Um, next card is lead from the rear duel. Score this in the end phase. If your leader is the friendly fighter furthest from each enemy fighter <laughs> and one or more friendly fighters are in enemy territory or no one's territory. I love how it says scritch is right behind you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah i think this one is better um but for different warbands yes. um a lot of warbands are going to do this naturally and so it's sort of just one glory for not doing a lot so um, i could see taking that one to fill out a deck yeah i like it um next card is looming threat score this in the end phase of two or more friendly fighters are adjacent to the same enemy fighter 
Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a little hard to do for One Glory. Well, it kind of pairs well with Inseparable. Yeah. And yeah. there are warbands that like, you know, you have Skitter with the, or whatever it's called, with the Gits where they can follow one another. And then you've got um, the Reapers who like to crowd up on people and gang up on people. Yeah. So I think this could be useful in, in those kind of aggressive horde warbands. Yeah. I just usually don't like to take more than two One Glory cards. And a lot of the time I only like to take one and I'm just not sure if this one will make it, but Fair it enough. is doable. Lost in Shadow, dual score this in the end phase. If your warband holds two or more objectives and one or more enemy fighters are each in a cover hex. Ooh, glory. Um, so this one's more interesting. This is a little bit of a meta call, I think, to whether yeah. or not your opponent is going to be trying to be in the, the cover. If Because if they're not, like if they're trying to hold objectives, this might be pretty hard to do. It might be hard to force your opponent to be in a cover hex. Um, well, you can push them. True. You don't have distraction anymore, but sure. Um, there could be ways in which you could finagle this, like drive back, yeah. knock back, things like that. But I like the reward. and uh, Two glory is nice. And this one is objectives. It's not feature. So it, it does kind of yeah. force you to, you know, be on objectives. Yeah, the actually only problem with this card is like after you push a fighter into a cover hex, there's a power step that occurs, then then they can they can delve and flip it. Yeah. So, so it could make it difficult to score. They almost have to want to be in cover for some of these other cards that we've seen that reward you for being yeah. in a cover. Um, or it has to be one of the ones that's on a board. So Yeah. It's interesting. Um, out for the count is the next card. This is for two glory. It's a hybrid. Score this in the end phase if each enemy fighter is staggered or three or more enemy fighters are staggered. Yeah. Um, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you could take all of the cards to stagger people. Um, I don't know if that's worth it from an accuracy perspective, but uh, yeah, maybe there's a warband where everybody has stagger. <laughs> well, there is that like... Uh, destruction card where you can triumphant roar and whatever it's called where you can stagger everyone around you right you can make it work i just don't see it happening often yeah it's uh, not easy to do no reckless swing surge score this immediately after an activation step in which a friendly fighter made a range one attack action that targeted a fighter with more supporting fighters than the attacker for one glory i kind of like this one yeah i think this one is really good um Basically because they can't stop. You're just going to score it. And this is what I would say is an easy surge. As long as they have fighters adjacent to one another, right? Which you can kind of, usually if there's a one hex gap or two hex gap, you can kind of fit that, the slot in the middle and do that. So, Right. But it also puts you at a disadvantage. You're less likely to hit those attacks. Yeah. Um, it's, but, you know, if, if death warbands are, continue to stay relevant and strong, you know, there's technically they have more fighters than usual. So. Yeah. Yeah, in some cases, it's not bad. I I I think I'm I think I'm gonna play this one. So. Okay, yeah, That's cool. Risky strategy for two glories. Two glory. Score this in the end phase if one or more vulnerable friendly fighters each have three or more upgrades. Mm. I think it's doable. Yeah, it's tricky. It's, I mean, for two glory, that's pretty good. Um, you know what you could do is you could give a fighter three upgrades and then 
run them through a lethal hex in the last activation of the round. I think there's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. I do think that it's harder, though, without the lethals everywhere. So. Yeah, you just have to pick boards with lethals on them for this card to work. Yeah, and then that starts just to be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, if, hell, I would do it. <laughs> <sighs> Scion of Shadow for one glory. Score this in the end phase. Duel. If one or more inspired friendly wizards are each in a cover hex and there are one or more illusion upgrades in your power discard pile. That's so a lot a of wizard stuff. in a cover hex and illusion upgrade in your discard pile. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I feel like that's a lot of things. Um, but maybe. Yeah. Too many moving parts in my opinion. Yeah. Sinking feeling for one glory score this in the end phase. If there are more friendly fighters on feature tokens, then there are enemy fighters on feature tokens. I think you can kind of control this one. It's just hold more. Yeah, just dominant position. And I think I would take that. And I've taken this card. I think Grimwatch have this card, but it's yeah, they do. for objectives, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is really good. Yeah, That replaces the Grimwatch card in the Grimwatch deck, actually, this one. This one replaces it. And then all these other cards that we said maybe you take <laughs> that are one of glory, you don't. You take this one. <laughs> yep. There you go. Boom. That's a really good one. Um, last objective of the set is unequal contest for one glory. Surge, score this immediately after a friendly fighter's successful attack action if the attack roll contained only successes, including critical successes. So this is just um, like the Profiteer's card where yeah. you only roll successes. Um, well aimed or whatever. Yeah. It, it's, it's doable. It's like a 40% chance, I think. But over the course of the game, it'll... It'll work out, I think. Yeah, on two smash, you have a 50% chance to do it at all. And then a fairly high percentage of those will succeed. Yeah. So, for, kind of pairs really well with Miari's because you inspire and yeah. get the glory. I think if you have a warband with a lot of two dice attacks, it's probably probably similar to Branching Fate. I think Branching Fate's a little better um, math-wise, but it's okay. Certainly interesting. Yeah. Cool. It's an interesting set of objectives. Did you have a favorite one? Dude, um, I think the art for Fallen Titan is pretty cool, but I think my (laughs) favorite would be um, Risky Strategy, I think, just for like the pure degeneracy you can do with it. (laughs) Um, But if we're talking for an actual competitive card, I like Fearless Seekers. Which one's that? Um, it's the one where uh, you have two or more friendly fighters are on oh, feature yeah. tokens in enemy territory. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think Reckless Swing is probably the one I'm going to be playing the most of. I, I feel like it's worth it, even if you don't hit the attack. If you just yeah, uh, next to two people. I thought you were going to say Sinking Feeling. Um, that one's pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. It's good one. I mean, those are, those are the, yeah, good cards. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do the uh, gambits. All righty then. Uh, the first one is Audacious Move. Plus two move to friendly fighters in the next activation step, except when making a charge action. Bom, bom, bom. Yeah. <laughs> so this card is useful. Um, I think so. Spectral Wings is gone. Um, yeah. So you have uh, the one that makes death. you a quarry, Outrun Death, and then you have membranous wings which yeah. gives you plus two on a charge 
So because Outrun Death exists in this game, and then Membranous Wings exist if you charge, I think if you're looking for two, you pick between this and Membranous Wings. Otherwise, you just stick with Outrun Death and you move on. Because Outrun Death is the new Spectral Wings. Agreed. Uh, the next one is Brave Companion Reaction. Play this during an attack action after the declare action step if a friendly fighter is the target. Push another friendly fighter up to two hexes so that they are supporting so they are supporting the target. If that other friendly fighter is a companion and the target is named on the fighter card, instead push the companion by the shortest route so that the companion is supporting the target. I guess that's another thing we didn't talk about is companions. Um, yeah, some, some fighters, fighters are companions. Yeah. yeah, like linked to fighters. So in the card art, we have Legane and Shiok. So we can assume that Legane and Shiok will be companioned to one another, um, which is, yeah, I, guess. I guess, a rule that um, we don't have much info about, but I assume, you know, there'll be some sort of documentation that supports this. Um, Maybe. Sometimes the art is uh, more loosely... <laughs> A loose interpretation too. I think that the new in the new warband, the um, Stormcast, they have a companion, right? Yeah, yeah. Talos is a companion to uh, the Archer. Cool. So um, the um, next one, or we, yeah. we didn't really review the card, but uh, sure, yeah. Um, push another fighter up to two hexes. So they're supporting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just uh, what's it called? Um, Counter charge. Blindside. Yeah. Blindside. Whatever. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. Um, the next one is Call of Fate. It's restricted to the leader. It's a Gambit reaction. Um, I like how the new cards should Gambit ploy at the top. Um, it's a reaction. Play this after your leader is dealt damage that would take them out of action before the out of action check. Roll one defense dice. If you roll a crit, remove wound counters from your leader until they are vulnerable. <laughs> so on a 16% chance... Your yep. leader doesn't die. Nope. And you get to try again. The interesting thing about this card is it's a reaction, not an upgrade. So if your leader is super integral to your plan, whether it's um, some sort of stack upgrade strategy um, or something along those lines, this could be kind of useful. Yeah. I think this is more of a fun card than a seriously competitive card. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, if you're playing Rothgorn or Molog, I don't know. Maybe you take it. But... Maybe. I love the art on it. Celestis yeah, cool. is uh, going for it. He's pulling a Han Solo kind. Of. <laughs> yeah. Next one is Elite Advance. Choose one friendly fighter in enemy territory or up to two friendly hunters in enemy territory. Give each chosen fighter one guard token. I think putting fighters on guard is interesting. I like the hunter ability. Yeah. Because you can stick this on like two Rippas. Yeah. I was thinking of Vampires pretty, too. Well, that, that too. Even the Mad Mob. Yeah. Um, even the Wild Hunt, the Despoilers, the Grimwatch even. It's a really, it's a pretty decent card. It's pretty good. Yeah. For the Hunter side of things. Yeah. I think for, I think just one fighter is not quite worth it. No. And and you're going to want to play this with an aggressive warband because it's in enemy territory. And so the aggressive hunter warband is literally Ribas. So it's a great way to keep the survivability up with that warband. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the next one is Illusory Transference. Reaction. Play this after a gambit, which chose one or more friendly fighters 
is resolved if one or more illusion upgrades were broken as a result. Pick one of those broken illusion upgrades and give it to a friendly fighter not chosen by that gambit. What do you think? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting one. I kind of have to give it a reread. Um, <coughs> play this after a gambit, which you choose one or more friendly fighters is resolved. If one or more illusions were broke grade, pick one of those broken illusion upgrades. Yeah, that's interesting. So in a way, if you have to kind of move a fighter who you had to give an upgrade, illusion upgrade to, um, or, you know, an enemy tries to move your fighter, then you can kind of transfer that illusion to another fighter. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on how much, how often do you put a illusion card down, and then somebody else gets rid of it with their own card. Yeah, I suspect that usually I'm just going to let the upgrade go because I want my card to do something else. But maybe not. If you have this and you're playing Godsworn Hunt, <laughs> you'll inspire two fighters. You're chilling. Yeah, so that's that's kind of chilling cool. hard. Hey, I'm playing Godsworn. <clears throat> <laughs> it was my dire chasm resolution. It's going to be my hero deep resolution. Uh, the next one is live for the fight. The first action, first attack action made in the next activation step has plus one dice. If that attack action is made by a brawler, each attack action made by that fighter in the activation step has plus one dice instead. So I guess if you have like a brawler that has a scything attack. Then, uh, yes. Which it looks like Sepsimus on the card art. Might be a brawler. Who knows? Hmm. Cool card. I'm sure there are upgrades that make you a brawler. That's true. And stuff or like gambits and things. So yeah. Um, next one is not lost. Choose one friendly fighter, then scatter five from that fighter's hex. If the chain enters one or more empty hexes that contain a feature token, place the chosen fighter in one of those hexes. Otherwise, nothing happens. Wow. So this is kind of like another sidestep in a way, because you can finagle this to like stick it in front of objective you got pushed off of. If you roll a smash, you kind of just jump on it. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it's like a very, very bad backup plan, <laughs> but it works a lot of the time. You've seen people like place their Grimwatch perfectly off the scatter because rolling a smash is pretty accurate. So I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, so I would say that it's worse than sidestep if you're trying to go one hex, but if you're trying to go two or even three, like it, like it's more of a curve, you know. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because I think you're actually it's probably like about sixty or so percent to be able to get two hexes away. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's I think it's pretty good. I think you might take it as your second or third push card type thing. I think that makes sense. If you're holding, if you're doing a feature token style deck. Um, mm-hmm. The next one is Penumbral Falls, which is has the waypoint keyword. At the end of the action phase, deal one damage to each fighter that is in an edge hex. This effect persists until another waypoint is played. Wow. It doesn't go I like away this just- at all. Yeah. No, it just stays in the game forever until someone else plays a waypoint. I like this. Um, this could be a way in which you can punish people for hiding. <laughs> um, this could be a way in which you could maybe create like a delayed lethal or a delayed trap. Yeah. And that you could knock a fighter off at the end of the game into an edge hex. Maybe they're vulnerable. Maybe they're not. And then you finish them off. Or you soften them up for the next round. Yeah. It's interesting in application. Especially on like a long board or a diagonal board setup where there's like more edges. 
Um, you play this in the last power step of a round where they're not expecting it, and then maybe ping some people. Yeah. Kind of cool. Um, the next one is Quintox Query. Quintox is back. Um, Gambit Spell. One channel, if cast, look at the top card of your op- objective deck. Do not reveal it. It's your objective deck. Um, you can add that card to your hand. If you do, discard one objective card. Interesting. So you spend a power so, card, and you can sort of get through your deck. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, like sometimes even with the mulligan, the new mulligan rule makes the efficiency of this card a lot less. Yeah, but I do think that in some cases, maybe towards the end of the game, if your deck really relies on scoring a certain card to win, or you have a particular win condition you're going for, and you have a wizard, then this could yeah. be a card that's really handy in some cases. Yeah, and the more stuff like this that you have the more I start to wonder, maybe I should take more than 12 objectives. <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, the next one is rising water minus two from each fighter's move characteristic to a minimum of zero in the next activation step. What do you think? This is a big middle finger to guard and chosen axes and profiteers. Yeah. But this is a good card in general because yeah, while the speed package has been diminished over mm-hmm. time due to the rotation, um, if you are a warband that wants to play defensive or stay in your territory or prevent an opponent from escaping, then you can stick this card. Your opponent can maybe not run away as far as they think they can. I also, I think it's really funny that like the, the water's levels are rising and the chosen axes are trying to run away. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, that's pretty meta right there. It is pretty meta. In, in a way, it's just for one activation. So the effect might not be as pronounced. But I think if you time this right and you've like laid a trap, if you will, it's going to be pretty powerful. Or you can stop an opponent from, you know, trying to jump onto an objective or cover hex or run away even. Yeah. A lot of the time in the game, people measure hexes and, you know, exactly. And sometimes they can plan for one, you know, having to move one additional hex, but two is a lot. So, yeah, I think it could see some play and some kind of defensive deck. Um, the next one is Shadow Lore. Choose one friendly fighter. Pick one. Push that fighter one hex towards the nearest cover hex. Or pick the nearest feature token in an empty hex and move that token one hex towards that fighter. It's a very good card. Yeah. I think the feature token part of it is particularly good. Yeah. But I can see the cover thing working too. Well, because like... Isn't it Gloom? Gloom is a cover hex, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... It's a pretty good card. Some kind of gloom deck, yeah. It's a very good card, actually. The interesting thing about gloom so far is there's a lot of these, you know, there's a fair number of objectives so far that have involved gloom. And there's a lot of power cards that involve it. So in a way, gloom is sort of an alternate objective mm-hmm. um, that also gives you support. So in that in that respect, if you're able to build a whole deck around that, instead of an objective deck, you're a gloom deck. Like that might be better than objective play. So yeah, hundred percent. That's pretty interesting. I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, yeah. If we hadn't inferred that earlier, I'm really glad you said that because you can instead of playing hold objective, you can just play hold cover, hold gloom. Yeah, it's cool. Um, the next one is Sikkim. Choose one friendly fighter. Push that fighter one hex towards the nearest enemy fighter, or up to two hexes towards the nearest enemy fighter if the chosen fighter is a beast. The friendly fighter has to be a beast. Hmm. I mean. I think the push is solid in general. Yeah, I think the 
aggressive sidestep is what I like to call it. It's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I think if it happens to be a beast, great. I'm look, thinking about all the beasts in the game. I think the first beast we ever got maybe are the squigs. Are they beasts? Maybe they're not beasts. But yeah, I'm not sure if the keyword is beast. So it well. So my thing is like, if they're gonna use the create cards with all these keywords, I'm sure there's gonna be some sort of errata that comes out that relabels fighters throughout the previous four seasons, because otherwise this only works for Dwing Claw, because it says he's a beast as a special rule, or yeah. for um. Talos or Taros. But the thing is, is like all these cards are showing fighters from different warbands and squigs are beasts, right? So um, I do really believe, because it says this fighter cannot be given attack action upgrades or hold objectives on all three of the squigs and Moloch's mob. So yeah, it just, it just, why not just give them the beast tag? So in that function, I think it could be interesting, but I just like the aggressive sidestep. Yeah. It also seems like there's going to be a lot of beasts this season from what they've said. So cool yeah well that article was interesting in general but uh um next one is too close reaction after an attack action that targeted a friendly fighter give that fighter one guard token if that fighter is vulnerable heal that fighter one so if you get if, if your opponent misses you can heal or end go on guard if you manage to get dropped down to one your reaction goes first yeah. so then you can heal so before they you know do anything you can maybe survive. It's pretty. It's an each card. I like it. Yeah, I don't really like going aggressive after I get attacked. So. Well, it protects you. It's a future investment, right? You get the heal or you go on guard. So, yeah, could be. I just I just miss buried instinct now. <laughs> yeah, well, that card is gone for a reason. I guess the next one is unfair fight reaction. Play this during your friendly fighter's attack action after the declare attack action step if that friendly fighter has one or more supporting fighters stagger the target that attack action has grievous until it has been resolved jeez it's a lot of stuff so if you have one supporting fighter you stagger the opponent you already get the innate support because you're attacking a fighter with a supporting fighter and you get grievous well that's pretty good you get a reroll that helps you crit more Really good for Reapers, the Cunning Crew, Gits, Thorns, Grimwatch, you name it. Star Bloodstock, good card. Good, good card. Yeah, that's a good one. Next one is Wedded Blades. Pick one. You can reroll one attack dice in the attack action for the first range or range or two. Range one or range two attack action in the next activation step. <laughs> or, <laughs> <laughs> or that attack action has cleave. Um, in either case, if an assassin makes that attack action, that attack action also has Grievous. I like this. So the reroll is pretty good. Hundred percent, the reroll is good. <laughs> cleave is okay. There I might actually, be some cases when you want cleave. Yeah, there there are. There really might be. Like if, if they have block, two block, you want cleave. Yeah, yeah. Or if they're on guard, you can reduce the number of chances that they can block you. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And this is probably my favorite guard card because you can choose something else if you want, or cleave card because you can choose something else. So Yeah, I mean, and this is amazing for an assassin. Yikes. Yeah, no, it's definitely good for an assassin. Uh, the last gambit here is Writhing Shadows. Pick one. Flip one feature token in an empty hex. Or 
Roll one attack dice for each fighter in a cover hex. And on a roll of smash, deal one damage to that fighter. Eh. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the only reason I would ever take this card is if I want to flip an empty hex. But if yeah. it's empty, it might not matter. I think the only time this could matter is when that there's a card earlier we talked about where there's no um, objectives or feature tokens or whatever. Right. So well, if you got some sort of synergy that forces a certain board state, this card could be useful as a tech card. But aside from that, I don't think it's a card that denies your opponent anything, per se. I think you're right, but what it can do is if you are playing a warband that has a lot of surge surges for holding objectives, like Grimwatch, maybe you take this to flip the cover before you move on to it. Um, well, but then they, it, would, it starts Gloom, though. Right. It says flip one feature token. So you could turn it from Gloom to an objective, and then you could score like Shifting Madness or... Oh, I see what you're saying. Victory. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Kind of an yeah. edge case. But. Edge case for sure. But I, I do like the the thought behind that. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, 16 cards to go. I think I, I thought this was going to be three hours, but we're moving pretty quickly. So. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll be uh, interesting. Okay. So um, first card here is called Blunt Force Master. Mm-hmm. This fighter's range one and range two attack actions. The target an enemy fighter or an adjacent fighter rather have stagger reaction after this fighter's successful range one or range two attack action push the target one hex away from this fighter. Yeah. Hmm. So this is interesting. I think stagger is decent. I also think the push is interesting because I think you still get to drive them back because it's after the successful attack action. So you get to drive them back, and then you get to push them. And because of the way that reactions work now, the opponent won't get to do any reactions mm-hmm. to that activation. Yeah. Um, so it's cool, because if you have a range 2 weapon and your opponent happens to be adjacent to you, you can push them away further. Yeah. Um, but then maybe, like, you know, it's kind of like a pseudo-knockback effect where it kind of goes into a lethal, mm-hmm. if there is one. Yeah, with a little bit more control because it's just a push. It just has to be away. So, yeah. I think that's. I, I think that might be worth considering. The stagger doesn't really do it for me. I feel like if stagger is free on attack actions, it's cool. I don't know if it's worth that yeah. unless it's like. That's true. I don't know. <clears throat> like if maybe if combo becomes a thing, you can like stagger with the first attack <laughs> and then get rerolls on your other attack, so the combo is more likely to occur. That could be a way That's to overcome cool, yeah. the fact that Comber, you know, doesn't work, but um, I don't know. Yeah. I love the card out on this next card called KG Fighter. It's Riptooth and Thrafni are going at it. <laughs> um, reaction after this fighter's activation, which they made one or more failed range one or range two attack actions, scatter two from this fighter's hex and push this fighter along the chain to the end hex. If the chain is interrupted or if this fighter would be blah, 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 Blocked, occupied, do not push them any further. So essentially, if you miss, you can run away, scatter. Yeah, I think that's okay, but I don't... It's probably better just to take something that's going to help you hit. (laughs) Facts, my friend, facts. Yeah. Next card, Dark Insight. Upgrade. While this fighter is in a cover hex, they can make the following action. Action. Look at the top card of your objective deck. Pick one. Draw that card and discard one objective card, or put that card on the bottom of your objective deck. Mm. So I don't think it's worth an action, but it's pretty cool. 
It's a cool concept. But yeah, I completely agree that I would not play it. Um, next card is called Heroic End. Give this only to a vulnerable fighter. Plus one move, plus one defense. Plus one damage to this fighter's range when attack actions. This fighter cannot be healed. When this fighter is taken out of action, break this card. They've uh, thought of everything, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so in case, hypothetically, if you resurrected the fighter with a raise counter, you couldn't, yeah. they wouldn't come back with Heroic End, which I really like that. Yeah, I um, think it's a pretty solid upgrade. It's just a matter of becoming vulnerable before you can use it. Um, well, remember, you can always force vulnerability if there is lethals. Yes, you can. But it's hard to force it and make use of the damage and then benefit the from the defense. But yeah. yeah, I really do think vulnerable is going to be more common than we think. I think so, especially but, probably for like three wound fighters where you actually mm-hmm. get vulnerable like early in the game. Mm-hmm. I could see that kind of thing. I do think you're right that vulnerable is hard to plan for. And so in that case, it might not be taken very much. Yeah, but I do like it. Master of Shadows. This fighter is a hunter. You can re-roll one dice and this fighter's attack rolls while this fighter is in a cover hex. Mm. Um, I think it's going to depend on what the other accuracy cards that we have access to are, but I think this is decent. I mean, if you think about it, if you, regardless of whether you're a hunter or not, when you're in a cover hex, you already get to count double supports as a success. Yeah. So not only does your fighter become more survivable, but they become more accurate. And if you want to play a warband that wants to be in a cover hex, especially in in enemy territory, I feel like this could be pretty useful. Um, and it I, doesn't have a range limitation. I mean, basically, if you charge and you can end up in a cover hex, you should. So, and if you plan on staying in that cover hex, it's even better. Like, imagine this on like Lund, bro. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah I think it's good. I just don't know if it's better than like. Uh, augmented limbs, just because that works all the time. Hundred percent, you know. Augmented limbs should be restricted, but sure. I and then if it was, really good then game. then we maybe would you take more yeah. Master of Shadows. Yeah, Mazig's Magefish looks like someone is digging the Elethanes vibe. Um, restricted to wizards and upgrade reaction after this fighter's spell action or spell attack action. If the spell was cast, pick one. Give this fighter one guard token or heal this fighter. This is kind of good. Well, I don't think it's good. On Stormsire? Yeah, I guess. Cast a spell, go on guard. You're inspired, you're on two block, and you're on guard. Yeah, but you have to cast a spell. I mean, I he does that all the time, though. Yeah. I don't know. I don't love it. I, I think it's good I th- for Stormsire. I think you're right. You would take it in that deck, though. Yeah. I think it's good for Stormsire. Um, Penumbral Dirk. Attack action. This fighter is a hunter. Range one, three fury, two damage. If the target has one or more upgrades, this attack action has cleave. So maybe this is the um, weapon of the set. You know, if opponents have upgrades, you get cleave. Yeah, I was wondering that. Kind of interesting. Hunter, they have an upgrade, you have cleave. The weapon itself is okay. Um, Three fury, two damage isn't bad. The upgrades thing is just weird for people that have block but uh yeah, yeah it kind of kind of wrecks them kind of neat um the next one is called phantom fathomer attack maybe, maybe this is the weapon of the season could be um maybe there is no weapon of the season plot twist 
Um, range one, one smash, two damage with Grievous. Um, this attack action has plus one dice for each upgrade the target has. Mm. I love these anti-Voltron cards. Oh, it's <laughs> music to my ears. Yeah, that's so, pretty good. More often than not, it's a two smash, two damage attack with Grievous. Yeah. Pretty solid. I kind of like this. Again, I love the art here. If you get up to four smash or something, it's, it starts being pretty good. Ludicrous. Pilford Prize is the next upgrade. Give this only to a fighter with a wounds characteristic of two or less on an objective token. Put that token on this card. When this fighter is taken out of action, first place the objective token on this card in the same hex as the fighter, unless that hex is a lethal hex or cover hex or a hex that contains another feature token, then break this card. Wow. So essentially, you can remove an objective... Not a feature token, so it has to be on the objective side. Yeah. If you do it, and then you die in an in a regular hex, it comes back. Otherwise, if you're in a lethal hex or cover hex, or a hex that contains another feature token, that card doesn't come back. The objective token, rather. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's worth doing, but you could g- grab an objective with a little... Because it has to be a two-wound fighter. So, that, yeah. so you grab one, and then you jump at a lethal and die. I guess there's not very many lethals either, but... I mean, it could work. Again, Destruction has these cards that want these things to be gone from the board. So yeah. maybe if we get enough cards, it, it works. Actually, Cover and other feature tokens do it as well. So there's quite a few yeah. ways to to lose that. That's interesting. It's so cool that a fighter can pick up an objective and then... Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, Treasure Goblin from... like uh, What's that game? Diablo? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Searing Ink is the next card. Yeah. Um, after a success reaction, after a successful attack action that targeted this fighter, if the attacker is adjacent, deal one damage to that fighter and give that fighter one charge token, then break this card. Wow. So in a way, if a fighter doesn't charge you, so this is highly telegraphed. Yeah. But if you de- if you take the damage, they take one damage and get they get a charge token. Which they probably had already. Yeah. Eh, I'm not a big fan of it, but you know. But if if this is like an opponent like ends their turn and starts a turn next to you, and you have this upgrade on, I can see this card being super annoying. That's true, and the damage. I mean, you don't want the damage either. So no, you don't. Shade Mark is really good. Jeez. Okay, and this next upgrade called Shade Mark. <laughs> if this fighter's defense is a dodge, you can reroll one dice in this fighter's defense rolls. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's not quite as good as the some of the plus one dodge dice cards that we've seen before. I think it was, yeah. I forget what it was called, but it, uh, acrobatic and like, it's not quite as good as that. Um, sure. But it's good. But it's, I good. mean, yeah, but like Briar Queen with two dodge reroll. I mean, I feel like dodges appreciate the rerolls more like yeah. fury. And now with cover everywhere and stuff, it's still good. It's pretty, it's pretty solid. It's a really good card. Um, next one here, a shadow seeker denizen keyword. Rolls of half supports are successes in this fighter's attack rolls. If there are no enemy fighters within two hexes of this fighter, rolls of half supports are also successes in this fighter's defense rolls. If this fighter is a hunter and the attacker is not adjacent. Hmm. I think it's kind of cool. I think you stick this on a it range is. fighter. Yeah. It's pretty good for profiteers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You definitely want it to be a range fighter. 
Um, there's not really. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a pretty good ranged upgrade. Um, and we already have the, what is it? Archer's focus or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the new version of it. Yeah. The new one. So those two together are pretty solid. So yeah, seems good. Is it? Is I like this for range fighters and magic fighters. Terrifying shadow is an illusion. So in addition to the requirements of illusion cards, it says minus one dice from attack actions that target this fighter. While this fighter is in a cover hex to a minimum of one plus one defense while this fighter is in a cover hex. If this fighter is a minion. Hmm. Um, I think this is pretty good. Um, I think if you have, like if you're going aggressive with a low health, I, I, I guess it depends what the minions are, but in the new Warband, for example, if you're trying to hold a cover hex and then you play this and that, that guy's going to be really hard to kill. He goes to two block counting double supports as successes. Yeah. Yeah. And minus one dice from any range. That's true. So I think that's a pretty good yeah. uh, defensive ability. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's really good. <clears throat> you just hope they don't have it a lasts, push. Yeah. It lasts for one round, but it's good. Yeah. Could be the third round. Unfazed upgrade plus one defense while two or more enemy fighters are adjacent to this fighter plus one defense while one or more enemy fighters are adjacent to this fighter instead if this fighter is a brawler. So if you mm-hmm. have a brawler, you get plus one defense and you're next to an enemy fighter. That's pretty good. Because anytime you get good. charged, you're going to be plus one. Yeah, or anytime you do charging and then you you know get struck back. Yeah, interested to see how the brawler stuff pans out. Yeah, same. I like it though. Waterlogged map is the next card. It's restricted to leaders. If this fighter is in enemy territory at the end of the third action phase, gain one glory point. That reminds me of um, the card from the leaders pack. Yeah. The, yeah. So something cloak, I think. Yeah, it was a, it was a red cape in the art or a shining example, maybe. I don't know. Maybe Something it was like shining example, but the Something card like art that. had him wearing a red yeah. cape. It's a good card. Yeah. But I like the stipulation of enemy territory. So, right. Yeah. It is good. It is harder, but it's it's less of a cheese card. <laughs> yeah, I think it's balanced. It's uh, not as powerful as some of the stuff we've seen before, but that's sort of the theme so far, I think, and I'm I I am have not processed the what it what the cycle from Direcast or Beastgrave really means yet. Mm-hmm. So, I think I think a lot of these cards will as we start building decks, we'll start thinking about more. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about it more lately. I mean, pretty much all day since we've been, you know, I've been reading <laughs> these cards, and yeah, um, I really do think that like Beastgrave had some really strong cards that are gone, mm-hmm. and Direchasm had it ha- is, is the stronger set of the two thus far, right? I agree. Um, but it looks like the trend for these cards in the game is weaker universals, stronger factions. Because we'll go over the factions in the next episodes. And you'll see the difference there. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Well, last card of the set, Withering Blade, attack action. You cannot give this card to a leader. This fighter is an assassin. Range one, three fury, two damage with stagger. I love the art on this one. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Thedra. Thedra is about to get wrecked. (laughs) She has no idea. (laughs) 
that's Tommy Convoy coming soon. <laughs> yep. Right there. That's funny. Beautiful. Um, I like that card, actually. Yeah. It's a solid weapon. Stagger's good. I think for the warbands with, like, Skaven or something, where you're going to use the little guys, you're going to give them weapons, you want to hit hard. If you can get the kill, awesome. But if you can't, you might as well stagger them while you're at it. Yeah. So, yeah. I think this is like the, maybe the third weapon you take. Man, a favorite upgrade. Um, I don't think we did favorite gambits either. So Yeah. Give me your favorite gambit and your favorite upgrade. So my favorite upgrade from a flavor perspective, I think, is Pilfered Prize, where you get to pick up the objective. That's, That's cool. Just wild. <laughs> um, honestly, the power of most of these is relatively tame. So it's it's going to be situational. Like I think there will be situations that I want some of these cards, um, particularly the upgrades. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure when. Like some of the weapons are decent. Um. Yeah, I don't know. How about you? What about for me? For the upgrade perspective, I think I'm a big fan of Master of Shadows. Um, I also like Phantom Fathomer, the the one where you get plus one dice for each upgrade. I think it's just a, I just like the card art. If I'm going to be honest, <laughs> but, you know, that's cool. Um, what about you for gambits? <clears throat> um, I like Not Lost, the one where you scatter and then you teleport to the token. Um, I like elite advance where you get to push two friendly hunters and then give them guard token or you no, that's the wrong one. Elite advance is a good card though. I was just looking at that one. Um, I personally like, uh, penumbral falls and shadow lore. Shadow lore is good. Un- yeah. Unfair fight is insane. If you have the right setup. Honestly, Wedded Blades is good, too. I really like these gambits. Yeah. A lot of these are hard for me to judge. Um, they, they generally strike me as relatively like low power. but mm-hmm. Some of them don't. Then I'm, Some of them. Yeah, but I'm also thinking about all the cards in Dire Chasm, and like, there's not a ton that are better than this. Um, but you're right about the faction cards. Like A lot of faction cards are better than these. So it'll be interesting to see like where these fit in. I'm also trying to think about like a Vanguard perspective, um, like for new players. And I think a lot of these are really good for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of these objectives, you can make it work. You can plan around it. There's a pretty good spread in here for small war bands, big war bands, like leader, heavy war bands, leaders that want to hide in the back. So um, I think it's a good set. I think that it's impact on championship is relatively low. For now. Um, but it's a good foundation for a new season. Yeah, I definitely agree with, with that that statement. Great foundation for the new season. I think it kind of sets the tone of where they're looking to go with the cards. Um, I really, really like the way they've toned the power levels down. They've kind of thought about ways in which cards have been abused in the past and written into the cards where they can't be. So mm. I'm, a, I'm a really big... I really appreciate the way that they went about it. And... um I'm really excited. I think it's a it's a good season. There's a lot of good cards in here. Yeah, I guess not it, necessarily great, but good. I guess it goes I guess it's worth mentioning that this is the second season that the starter set has had a bunch of universals in it that are unique, um which yep. I think is a great move. Um comparing it to Dire Chasm, 
I think Dire Chasm had a few broken cards in it. And this one, I can't say does. Um, So I think that's definitely positive. Um, I'm not sure if I think this is a better foundation for a season. I thought some of the Dire Chasm cards were really cool, like the Savage Strength, Savage Speed. Um, So maybe I like the flavor of Dire Chasm a little bit better, but I appreciate the lack of Ferocious Resistance. (laughs) Yeah, the only card that I'm kind of concerned about in this set is Partial Resurrection, which is a death card. Yeah, I, I would say that from a balanced perspective, the Grand Alliance are heavily skewed towards death. I think there's, I think yeah. that resurrection card is, it's insane. Um, like maybe it needs to be restricted and that would be okay, but I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so good being able to bring somebody back. Um, but then three of the other cards I would play too, I think. So it, 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 yeah. it's interesting. It gives them a distinct advantage. And I honestly wouldn't mind that if they didn't, I feel like already have the kind of pre, like they're just, they just are the best right now in general. So. Yeah, and we're hoping that changes with the with some of the ways these decks are yeah. built moving forward. But right now, I think death is in a really, really good spot. But aside from that caveat, I, I do really like the way that the game is improving. It's being more streamlined. It's being more um, thoughtful in its execution, which I really, really appreciate. I think so. Um, what is your one favorite change? Um, I think the thing that I am... The most excited to tr- is to see is how the do over changes affect deck building. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's going to be something that we actually have to get used to. But I think you can take third end phase cards in a way that you have not been able to before. Um, Agreed. I think it's a big difference. So yeah. Um, the one thing we didn't talk about before you tell me your favorite thing is we haven't covered the boards yet. Do we want to mention oh, those real quick? Yeah, that's a good point. Let me pull this uh, these boards up. That's a really good uh, good thing to end the episode with, actually. So, got four boards: the Ultimatum Engine, the Chamber of Genesis, Profane Larder, Jesus, and Hall of <laughs> <laughs> Hall of Sublimation. So, why don't we take a start with the Ultimatum Engines? Yeah. This one kind of gives me uh, Amber Bone, Amber, Amber Nest Trap vibes with three lethals. They are spread out for anyone listening, so don't have a panic attack. Well, the, but uh, do you notice that this is the same as the Arcane Nexus? You're right. It's it back, is the baby. exact same as the Arcane. I really like that board. Yeah, me too. I thought it was great for Profiteers and Night Vault. I played that all the time. Yeah, yeah because there board. were no player placed lethals, it was a great board to put aggressively because you weren't right next to those lethals at the at yeah. the top yeah it's a good that's a really good point i think it's cool that they're reprinting some of the boards um, but they look sexier yeah they do love it okay well do you know what that one is if you're not familiar <laughs> with the the, 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 it's, the board it's a pretty fairly balanced board i think the three lethals can kind of skew on one side but i, I do think that this is a great offensive and defensive board really yeah I think it's a good board to put down if you think you're going to be long boarded. That's what it used to be good mm-hmm. for. That's um, true. And it's a good board to put defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, then the next board is Chamber of Genesis. Um, this one has 
two blocked hexes next to each other on, I guess if you're looking at it from one angle on the right or the middle. Yeah, you're showing a picture on the YouTube video. That's good. Um, I kind of like this one. It seems like it's a good board um, to place, place offensively. There's good options on either side. Um, not a good long board option, but uh, in a way, if you have a smaller warband, it's a good defensive board as well, I think. Yeah, I don't think it's a board that you pick first. I think it's a board you put down, you set up with. Um, yeah. I think that the block hexes are really good for the warbands that can go through block hexes. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if they can score off of that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I don't think you'll see as much of that one as some of the other ones, but I think it has its uses. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, my favorite one is the profane larder <laughs> just because the two cover w- words you never thought would come out of your mouth. Words I never <laughs> thought would come out of my mouth. That's correct. The lethal in the front or the back, depending on how you place the board is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like those cover hexes in the middle. It's actually a really great setup for warbands who are trying to score off being in cover hexes. Exactly. I think if that's your strategy, you're going to play this board a lot. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's a good defensive board too, I think. Um, yeah. I think it is. Because you can kind of put that lethal. Like It has a lethal, which is actually a big deal um, mm-hmm. because lethals are mostly gone. Um, yeah. and then you can put it in the front and they have to go buy it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And the last one is the hall of sublimation, which I don't know how to feel about this one. Honestly, I think it reminds me of, um, the mirror. Well, like a new version of it. Yeah. I don't think it's a copy of anything we've seen before, but it would be no, hard to tell. It is. I think it's kind of good for a gets board actually. Yeah, because of the two. Is is this the redo of the? No, that had three starting hexes next to each other. Yeah, I don't think this is one we've seen before. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure if I like it that much. Uh, no, I, I think my two. No, I think you're right. I think the two on the right, Chamber of Genesis and Hall of Sublimation. I mean, honestly, man, I can see Hall of Sublimation on like a board I play second. Like if I'm in charge of boards. Yeah. I can see me placing this to where like I'm within range of some fighters, but I'm also in a safe distance. And I, I like to use mirror well in that same capacity. So that's why I'm trying to make that comparison here. It's a good board for like Rippa's or somebody that has the movement yeah. to control their spacing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like wild hunt. I think would like this board. Godsworn, I think would like this board. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, what is yeah. your, what are you most excited for so far of all these new, features yeah i mean i think from a cosmetic perspective i'm really excited because everything just looks prettier <laughs> um, so that goes amazing. a long way yeah it's beautiful in some cases um i think the most excited i am would be for um i think the power step i think mm, yeah for better or for worse i'm really curious as to how that's going to affect the game and uh, the way that I function and think about the game, because I, I feel like you have to literally change the way you can th- think about the game. It's a fundamental shift. Um, mm. I think it's kind of important. I, I also really like the stagger token. Yeah, I think that's well done. Big fan. Yeah, yeah. I think stagger token could be lumped into keywords like assassin, <laughs> brawler, companion, minion, leader, wizard, grievous, scything. All those new keywords are awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it it makes sense to. It's like a permanent. It's like a, the reverse of guard. It, it's it's thematic. It's cool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What's your least favorite thing so far? I think. <laughs> um, or the thing that you're maybe the most concerned about. Let's just or wary, critical, even. Um. So far, I'm not a fan of the illusion cards, but I'm, yeah, I took the words right out of my mouth. I'm interested to see what they are. I mean, it's like if <laughs> what I don't want is like an illusion, great strength because then they just put it on in the first round and like kill you. God's one hit for four damage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, they're the, they're, they're the craziest about it, but, but they're also not very good. So like, I actually, I don't really mind that they can do that. Um, and they really need a lot of upgrades, like stacking up as well. Um, to hit mm. you for a lot. Like, so I don't know. And, and they can be removed. So I don't know. It's just kind of a weird thing. I guess, I guess maybe I'm just, I like the idea that upgrades do cost glory and that you get to keep them, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just, I guess it's fine. It's more like just having more gambits kind of. So. Hmm. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think illusion is something very interesting to me. Um, I'm not sure if I like it, I think I think delve is the one I'm the most concerned about or critical about the whole concept of delving. Yeah, I mean, I kind of questioned whether or not we needed anything on the other side of the tokens anyway. I was fine in like season one and two, just removing them. Um, mm. So now, now it's like, yes, you can flip them, and you can flip them twelve times a game. <laughs> so yeah, uh, each like, that is absurd. Actually, yeah, you can actually flip them twenty four times a game. Oh yeah. So it's a lot of flipping, gnarly. But um, okay, well, I think that covers our review for Harrow Deep. I think <laughs> um, overall we're pretty positive about it. I think there are some the bits of trepidation, but honestly, I think for me, like I'm giving this box a pretty good rating. Like, there's a lot of cards in here. There's 86, 84, excuse me, universal <laughs> cards. Not to mention 64 faction cards, um, five, eight gorgeous miniatures, four boards, and you know rules to change the way you play this game. So um, I know that people are concerned about the price increase. I completely understand where you're coming from. I will like to point out that like COVID has been really hard on businesses all over the world. So whether you are, I mean, I'm not sympathizing for Games Workshop or anything like that. Like you know, don't attack me. Like you've been doing on Facebook all day. Um, um, I, I decided to defend this earlier today and that's why oh, I'm out of mind. I got so attacked. Brave. Uh, I, you know, I was, I thought, but, um, <laughs> I mean, we ended up resolving it quite peacefully, but I will just say like, you know, if you can afford it, I would get, seriously give this a shot. I think it's, it's a shot in the arm that the game kind of needs. We're moving and trending in a positive direction. Um, and you know, split this box if you want to, you know, like if you're not gonna, you know, compete at the upper echelons of this game or want to, then you and your opponent, your, your friend can both split a rivals deck and then play rivals. And then, you know, one of you can mess around with the universals or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of cool ways to go about it, but I really do think this is a good value for its buck. If if I wasn't getting it for free, I would have bought it, you know? And I think you can agree with me there. So, um, yeah, yeah, I definitely would have purchased it. Um, yeah, I would say that, as far as a product goes, I think it is, I, I don't think it's incorrect to say this is the best one they've done so far. 
Um, I think the art is superior. I think the quality of the cards is better. Um, the boards are beautiful. Um, so I really don't have any complaints as far as the product goes. Um, the war bands seem fun. So that's, that seems cool. There's so many war bands, but they seem fun. Um, the card quality I think is good for the game. Like I'm glad there's not a bunch of overpowered stuff. I think if you really were like a championship player on a budget, maybe you could skip this if you really wanted to. Um, but it depends on the deck you're trying to make, I guess. There's not like, I think you could make an okay Vanguard deck basically, but um, I don't know. I, I You probably need the boards though. So I don't even know Vanguard's a thing anymore. They haven't mentioned it at all. It's just been rival stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it technically it be, still exists, but I don't know if they've updated it to even include the newest yeah. cards. So might be a conversation for another episode, but overall I think we're yeah. both pretty high on the product. Um, we haven't even gotten to the war bands yet. I think some of the, some of these cards are pretty <laughs> cool. Um, the grand Alliance cards are awesome. The keywords are awesome. The rules are awesome. And there's a lot of streamlining. So um, I think path to glory seal of approval here. <laughs> um, sure. Anything else that you want to talk about, Jonathan? Um, nope. I think I'm good to end this one and we will jump into the war bands in the next uh, couple episodes. So um, we'll go ahead and end this one. Once again, thank you to our patron supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash path to glory. You can find all of our blog content on path to glory podcast.com. Uh, we should mention that we're going to have articles for each of uh, these sections, the core rules, the uh, universals, grand Alliance and the war bands. Um, if you have any feedback questions or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or discord at path to glory podcast. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. As always, thanks for listening, and we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. The objective counter was delved 248 times during the course of this podcast. (laughs) 